All right, all right. Hi, everybody. Stephen Mullen, you from Free Domain. Sorry for last week. I'm sure you all know why. It is the 24th of April, 2020, and I hope you guys are having a great week. And I guess we're starting off with a UPB roundtable, if I remember rightly. So uh, who wants to lead the charge? Uh, there was a question that was brought up on the server in the past week. I don't want to speak for the person who had the question, but I was also curious about it. Um, it had to do with what is the difference between morals and ethics? And why didn't you make a point of that in your book? I mean, I, I think the two words are basically interchangeable. I mean, you could say that moral is more the theory, a theory of morality, whereas ethics is more the practical application of that theory. But uh, I, I don't really feel that it's a particular value to try and reshape the language to the point where we deny. I think that the reality is that most people think those words are pretty, pretty interchangeable. So I didn't enough, want to. I didn't want to put a hard fork into that language because it's not really. They, you know, they're not my words to own or define. If that makes sense, and I think they're pretty interchangeable. Thanks. Sure. I think another question that came up on the Discord server, and I think I think it's one of them. Pavo was trying to ask was. He uh, said somewhere in your book you state that universal preferences are equivalent to hypothetical imperatives. I, I don't I, think I, I do. Trying... I know I. Uh, I'm pretty sure I don't, unless I. I you know, it's been a while. But um, do you mean the hypothetical imperatives, uh, like uh, the categorical imperatives, like Hunt style, or? Well, that's what I was trying to figure out: is what is the hypothetical imperative? That was my problem. Like, what does that mean? <laughs> well, uh, I don't know what the meaning is of the person who asked the question, um, and I, I wouldn't want to sort of fathom it, other than to say. That uh, so Kant's categorical imperative is basically act as if the principle of your action becomes a general law to people, and so don't steal because you wouldn't want to live in a world where everyone is stealing. Don't lie because if the general law became that everyone lied, then you wouldn't be able to survive and all of that. So that is the Kantian categorical imperative in general, but it really doesn't work. It doesn't solve the problem, which is why it has not been accepted, uh, I think, as other than a theoretical. But um, So first of all, you know, we are mammals, and we seek comparative advantage relative to other humans in particular. Obviously, we seek comparative advantage relative to other animals. But with regards to humans, we definitely want to make sure that we exploit them as much as humanly possible from a sort of will to power universe kind of standpoint. And so you, you sure do want to live in a world where you only are the one who gets to steal. I mean, so you can say, well, this is categorical imperative that says, well, you, you should act as if the principle of your action becomes a general law. But of course, if you are the only thief in the world, man, you're going to do a fantastic, you're going to have a fantastic time of it because nobody's going to lock their doors. Everyone's going to think they just misplaced whatever you, uh, you take. And there's not going to be any police. There's not going to be any uh, anti-theft devices. Like, there's not going to be any pins or, you know, if you're the only thief, man, you, you make out, I guess, literally like a bandit. So it is massively advantageous if you can convince other people to be honest and to respect property while you yourself are dishonest and disrespect property in the same way that the people who run the Federal Reserve uh, will prosecute you or they're part of the organization or institution that prosecutes you for counterfeiting. And so it is great if you can get others 
to um, to respect moral rules why you don't have to. And of course, Kant would then say taxation is theft if he was following it logically. But of course, he said that you always had to obey the government no matter what. And you know, same sort of stupid contract that that Socrates on his deathbed uh, or his death cell was uh, talking about. So yeah, that's sort of one argument against it that the value of breaking moral rules actually goes up the more that other people obey those moral rules. So you would expect to develop in society an entire set of institutions that promulgate moral rules that they themselves don't have to follow, and then they will call it taxation or the state or the social contract or whatever it is. And this, of course, is exactly what does happen. So it doesn't take into account uh, the people who benefit from the breaking of the moral rules. That's number one. And number two, let's say that you're a relatively short-sighted, not-too-intelligent, very strong brute of a man. What if you say, well, yeah, I'm I'm willing to let physical fights determine who gets resources in society because I'm the biggest and I'm the strongest. I have no problem with that becoming a universal moral rule. And you say, ah, yes, but what if you get older? And what if you get, well, it's like, okay, well, once I've got all the gold, I'll just hire all these people to protect me and my old age and I'll still do fine. So this is the sort of categorical imperative doesn't really work from an evolutionary standpoint and it doesn't really work even from a logical standpoint because there are tons of situations, you know, if you're the best chess player in the village, you might say, well, let's uh, have all our social disputes resolved by who beats who in chess. I'm perfectly willing to make that a universal rule. And uh, so that's sort of, that was some of my dissatisfaction with the uh, Kantian ethics, if that helps. Well, and we, there was another question about Genghis Khan and how, you know, it was like, why would he follow UPB if his strategy for survival was so successful? And I said, define successful because, you know, yeah, the Mongolian Empire brought great things and they had trade and all this. And I had to look into it a little bit because I didn't really know. Right. But I was like, but that's a Darwinian approach. If we're saying that he can just go around and rape all these women and father children very horribly. Sure, there's several people that did not want to be conquered and didn't realize their full potential in that society, right? But I don't know what the argument there is for, you know, you can argue Genghis Khan was great, but I, I just, and that he wasn't following UPB. I mean, he was Well, but look, I mean, so this, I mean, I understand the approach, I really do, which is that we have to convince everyone that UPB is valid in order for UPB to be valid, and what about these people who benefit from breaking it? But if you think about science, right? You wouldn't say, how do we convince a witch doctor that science is a superior form of knowledge acquisition to reading chicken bones he throws into the dust? Well, you won't be able to convince him because his livelihood, his respect, his status in the village is all predicated upon people believing that he has magical power. So, you know, if he comes across a scientist who's doing well and convincing people, he'll probably stick a bone up his butt and... (laughs) hang him from the closest rhino horse, uh, sorry, rhinoceros's horn. And so when you say, well, why would immoral people or brutes or evil people, why would they follow UPB? Well, they probably wouldn't. But that's not the primary issue. The primary issue, the primary danger that we face is moral theories. It's moral theories. That's the primary, like false moral theories is the primary danger that we face as human beings. It's not Genghis Khan, at least not anymore. I mean, capitalism and technology has given us a good deal of um, strength when it comes to dealing with warlords and and mere physical 
violence. So we don't have much to fear from that anymore. What we do have to fear, though, is false moral theories, right? That, uh, that say that there's a social contract, that say that taxation is virtue, that say the welfare state is the only way to take care of people, that the violation of property rights is the only way to organize society. This is the danger that we're facing. I don't, I don't really care that there's a Genghis Khan in the world somewhere. I do care when I have to give up half my income to the state or get thrown into a rape cage, right? So, and, and Genghis Khan is not the one who's taken half my income. It's not even the state that's taking half my income. It's the false moral theory that is taking half my income. And so when it comes to, well, would Genghis Khan, why would Genghis Khan follow UPB? Like, I, he's, not my, he's not my primary concern. He's not even, even if he was still alive, he's over there in Mongolia. And you're looking at, of course, a pre-technological society where brute force was the way to go. Now, the other thing too, of course, is that there were even false moral theories that supported Genghis Khan, right? Genghis Khan was only one man. He could not have created the entire Mongolian empire. He couldn't have fathered, like, I don't know, close to one out of every 17 person in the region, right? He's just one dude. So there was a false moral theory about uh, patriotism, about tribal war, about uh, us versus them. Uh, There were lots of false moral theories that drove the power of Genghis Khan. And it is those false moral theories that we really must be most concerned with. Philosophy can't do much against the sword, but it can do just about everything if it's allowed to and if people accept and promulgate it. It can do just everything about, it can do a lot about the theory that drives the sword or drives the collective or drives the... um... (sighs) So it's like when I was a kid, right? I was a little kid and some other kid came up to me and my football team, soccer team, was Crystal Palace. I didn't care. I went to one game. After two and a half hours, it was 0-0. Zero, zero. And I was just like, good Lord, I'd pay good money to never have to do this again. And he was like, you know, my team is great and your team sucks. You know, and it's like, okay, well, where are you from? Oh, I'm from this part of town, right? And I'm like, okay, so if we switch places, what are you going to say? Like, if, if I lived there and you lived here, what are you going to say? And he just kind of stared at me, right? And, of course, the answer is that I said, well, you'd be saying that your team is great, which is Crystal Palace, and my team, which is Tottenham Hotspurs or whatever it was, sucks. And so, I mean, maybe I cured him of a lifelong sports addiction. I don't know. But that's the kind of thing, right? I mean, you're, just, you're not cheering a team. You're not cheering your buddies. You're cheering a bunch of uniforms and a corporate machine that wants to drug you with stupid inconsequential things like where the ball lands. And so you can do something about, I can't go and win against a professional soccer team, all right? But what I can do is I can say that, you know, professional sports is it's just mind geographical, right? And there's no virtue, no moral ethics involved in it at all, right? So you can't, I can't win against a soccer team, but I can win against the concept of stupid sports allegiance, because that's, I mean, that's easy to, to talk about. I could do it as a kid, right? So it, it is the theories that we need to attack, right? The individuals who don't obey those theories, you know, okay, so there's lots of witch doctors out there who would completely reject and do completely reject the idea or the argument that science is a superior form of knowledge gathering to superstition. Okay, so what? So there are people out there who don't believe in science. There are people out there who believe that the world is flat. There are people out there who believe in ghosts. 
it's not incumbent upon us to convince everyone of the value of reason and objective methodologies and rational theories and so on. We just have to continue to pound against the promulgation of these false moral theories, because without those false moral theories, you don't even have a Genghis Khan. You've just got some guy with a sword. Right, right. Okay, one one other question for clarification, just for my own sake, because I think I, I was getting tripped up on this quite a bit, and I know you argued this with, with Stilwell. Uh, could you give me an example of the difference between preferable and preference? Uh, sorry, preferable and preferred? Well, yeah, preferable and preferred. Like, the difference between a preferable and a preference, or a preferable and a preferred, yeah. Sorry, I'm not following the question. Sorry if I'm not coming through. Is there a difference between preferred and preferable? Do you mean preferred and preferable? Yes. Yeah. Well, sure. Preferred yeah. is the past tense. Preferable is the future tense. Prefers is the present tense, right? He prefers to go to this restaurant tonight. Now, you could say sort of in general he prefers. But preferable usually refers to the future. Prefers usually refers to the present. And preferred refers to the past. And so, because philosophy deals with the future, uh, it's universally preferable, not universally preferred. I'm not sure if you, uh, you're still on the line or, or whether that answered your question. Yeah, I'm still, I'm still thinking about it. Like, I think we were looking at, is there a difference between universal preference and universally preferable? Universal preference and universally preferable? Sure. So universal preference would be something that all people prefer. It could be in a, a particular moment or a particular time slice or whatever it is. And it's largely an, in, well, I think it's almost exclusively an invalid concept. And of course, people do, you know, whether it's my fault or whatever, it doesn't really matter. People do get confused about this. You know, they say, hey, oh, this is universally preferable behavior. Well, yeah, well, I know someone who doesn't prefer it. It's like, that's not, <laughs> like, that's not, you know, it's like saying it's universally preferable to use science to find out facts about the universe. It's like, yeah, well, I know some people who don't accept science. It's like, yeah, so? Right. I mean, so things don't have to be, of course. I mean, it would be an impossible standard to say that uh, we would even con conceive of something called what is the current state of universal preference in the world. We could say, oh, well, it's universally preferable that people who are alive are choosing to continue to live. And it's like, well, yeah, but some guy could be just about to jump off a bridge. Some guy could be contemplating suicide. Some guy, whatever it is, could be any number of things. Or you could say, well, you know, some guy who you know, smokes too much and eats too much and never exercises, kind of not preferring to live in the long run. He's preferring other things, immediate pleasures, or at least the avoidance of discomfort. And so universal preference, as far as mind reading the planet, is an invalid concept because we'll never know about it. It can't be objective. It can't be proven, right? I mean, I, I could say my universal preference is for uh, people to uh, spray tan themselves into a Donald Trump caricature of an orange, right? That's my universal preference, right? Well, how could you prove or disprove that, right? It's just a subjective statement of a universal preference, which means fundamentally it's a subjective statement because you can't prove that universal preference. And so, and of course, lots of people proclaim that they want universal, uh, that they have universal preferences, but then their actions don't follow it, right? Oh, I want universal peace. 
um, peace between nations, so I'm going to put communists in charge of the UN, right? I mean, it's not going to it's not going to produce that at all, right? So, or people who say, well, we want diversity, right? We want diversity in the workplace, um, but uh, there's never too few white people, right? <laughs> so you always have fewer white people, and somehow it's all still diverse, right? It's all it's all nonsense. So as far as mind reading the planet goes, you never could do it. And even if you could do it, it could change in a moment. And you would have to rely on people's subjective reporting, which is biased by uh, all, all kinds of nonsense, right? And so universal preference for mankind is something that would not exist as a valid philosophical concept. You couldn't ever figure it out because we're not mind readers. And people, you'd just have to rely on what people say, which is not the same as universal preference. Universal preference would be something that's uh, objective. And so I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't chase down the, you know, what are people thinking, what do they prefer, based upon what they say. You know, the, I mean, to take a silly example, right, we all know these women who, you know, I just, I just want a nice guy. I just want a nice guy who's, who's stable, who's solid, and like then some half-shaven David Beckham-style lunatic shows up in a motorbike and she just drips into his arms. It's like, yeah, well, don't tell me what you say you want. I can only judge by your actions, right? So, yeah, as far as universal preference goes, trying to chase it down in the mind of every human being is uh, it's a fool's quest. Okay, that's helpful. Thank you for clarifying that. Hey, no problem. Well, thank you for reading the book and for having such great questions. All right. Uh, I've got a bit of a question here from uh, the, the person who was trying to speak earlier. Um, I got some references. So here we go. So from page 71 of Essential Philosophy, uh, you've written, some preferences are objective, some are subjective. Objectively, I cannot gain nutritional energy from gravel. A madman may choose to eat gravel rather than toast, but this is one way you know that he is insane. Subjectively, I may prefer vanilla ice cream to chocolate ice cream. The science of nutrition deals with objective requirements rather than subjective tastes. So this person says that this makes sense, that some preferences are objective. From page 30 of UPB, when I speak of a universal preference, I am really defining what is objectively required or necessary, assuming a particular goal. Now he says that he is not sure how this fits with, from page 40, those preferences can, which can be, excuse me, those preferences which can be considered binding upon others can be termed universal preferences or moral rules. So the question here, and there's a little bit more after this, but the question here is, I'm not sure what you mean by universal preference. Is it the same as an objective preference? It's a lot of verbiage. Let me just sort of sort that out in my head like some guy trying to deal cards in, in, in the correct sequence. Uh, not, not any fault of the listener or the questioner or anything like that. I just, I just want to make sure I get that sorted in my mind first. Ruffle, ruffle, ruffle. I always get, it, it sort of occurs in my brain like one of those paper counting machines, like those, those dollar counting machines kind of thing, right? Of course, of course. Okay, so uh, with regards to the first thing, some preferences are universal. Sure. I mean, if you want to get nutrition, you can't eat gravel, right? You will get something, but you won't get nutrition. So that is impl it's implied in that that there is the goal called gaining nutrition, right? So if you want to eat something that's nutritious, then you can't eat gravel. That's not a subjective preference, right? Whereas a subjective preference for vanilla over chocolate ice cream, that is a different uh, situation. So the if-then statement is very much uh, implied uh, in that. So I think that sort of does fit within 
the context of um, an objective preference relative to a particular goal. So I think that's okay. But if you can just give me the second part again. Uh, sure. So the, the the difference between universal preference and objective preference, and in this case, the listener is not sure what you mean by universal preference, if it's the same as an objective preference. Ah, okay. So yes, an objective preference is something that is related to a specific goal that is, of course, being enacted by an individual, right? So if somebody wants nutrition and they have a plate of graffle and they have a, a piece of toast, they will eat the piece of toast, right? Rather than the plate of graffle. So that can't be universal preference because there's lots of times where you've just eaten your piece of toast and you don't want another one, right? There's lots of times when you're sleeping and you're not desiring nutrition. So with regards to a particular goal, it's the if-then statement so famous in computer programming, right? So uh, if you want nutrition, then eat toast, not gravel, right? That's, that's your statement. Now, it's objective in that you can't will gravel to be nutritious to a human being, right? So that's an objective, but it's not universal. Because, as I said, there's times you don't want to eat, uh, times when you've just had a piece of toast, times when you put in the toast, but it turns out your bread was moldy, like tons of things you could think of, right? Times when there isn't toast available, <laughs> or there isn't, like, you might be hungry, but there's no food available, right? So, uh, so the difference between an objective preference is something that, in order to achieve a goal, you have to do something that is objective in the universe, whereas universal preferences are something which all human beings can logically achieve to desire at all times, right? So, you know, if eating a piece of toast is preferable if you're hungry and that's the only food that you have, and nothing else will do if that's the only food you have, that's a, an objective um, requirement. But universally preferable behavior is something which all human beings, at all times, under all circumstances, in all places, can objectively achieve. And objective is important, right? Because you could say, well, all human beings should have a preference for thinking of monkeys on a mountain, right? <laughs> and so, you know, but you could never prove. Everyone could say, oh, yeah, I'm totally thinking of monkeys on a mountain, and, you know, maybe in that moment they are, but you can't ever really prove it, right? That's to be something objective, right? All human beings can respect property rights. It is logically possible for all human beings to respect property rights simultaneously. It is logically possible for all human beings to respect personhood, right? To not beat up or violate. Or, it's perfectly logically possible for all human beings to not rape, to not murder, to not steal, to not assault. Uh, this is all fits within the framework. And as I've talked about before, of course, it's impossible for human beings to have a universal, universally preferable behavior called raping. Because raping, if you say it's universally preferable behavior, then everybody must want to rape and be raped at all times. But if you want to be raped, it's not rape. You know, it's just some silly role-playing or something like that. But it's not, you know, not criminal, right? I mean, if, if, uh, if you could imagine a silly situation where some woman calls the cops and says, this man raped me, right? And, uh, and they said, oh, that's terrible. What happened? It's like, oh... Well, uh, I, I, I begged him to do it. I, I, I really, really wanted him to do it. And here's a recording of me wanting him to do it. And so, yeah, I guess it was kind of rough, but, but I was begging for it. And, 
And right, this would then be as ludicrous as a man in a boxing ring claiming that he'd been assaulted, right? Because he's there voluntarily and he understands what he's doing and he's, he's, um, he has accepted being hit as the category called getting into a boxing ring, right? So the police would just say, stop wasting your time and, you know, maybe develop slightly better sexual habits or something like that. But if you begged him to do it and he, wanted to do it and you wanted him to do it, then it's not rape. It's not impossible to exist as a category. Rape has to be unwanted, therefore it can't be universalized. So anytime that you have universally, universally preferable behavior, which is asymmetrical, in other words, one person wants it, the other person has to not want it in order for the category to exist, like rape, theft, assault, and murder, can't be universally preferable behavior. So one is conditional upon a particular goal. The other one is... Um, endemic to the very nature of logic and possibility. Uh, and so this is how we know. And, you know, what I've tried to do now, sort of more recently, having debated this for a number of years, what I've tried to do more recently, I think it's helpful, is to get people over the hump of trying to define all this universally preferable behavior, which I think I'm glad I did in the book, of course, right? But if you can get people to understand, like, and I, I tried this with, um, I can't remember if it was Matt McManus or with Vash, I think it was McManus, to get him to accept that rape can't be universally preferable behavior. Like, just from a logical standpoint, right? You can't both want, you can't want to be raped, right? That's not, rape has to be unwanted. And therefore, because it's asymmetrical, it can't be universally preferable behavior because the category only exists if one person wants the sexual activity, the other person desperately does not want the sexual activity. Therefore, it can't be universalized. So, you know, it might be worth doing the rape example and just getting people to accept that. Now, of course, they, they want to back off from that. And I've never had, you know, this, and I'll be, I'll be hammering this harder in, in sort of future debates, but I've never had somebody just say, okay, yes, I accept that rape cannot be universally preferable behavior, right? Because they always, they never want to touch those two live wires together because that solves so many of the problems. I'm not saying, of course, you're in that category, but that's sort of been uh, my experience. And I hope that, uh, I hope that clarifies. It uh, looks like the, uh, the, the listener who's listening to us right now says, um, thanks for that, uh, assuming that uh, means that they get it. And so on the, the, the follow-up question is on page 30, which is just an excerpt. It's kind of out of context, so I don't have the context in front of me. Um, you say, when I speak of a universal preference, I really, I'm really defining what is objectively required or necessary, assuming a particular goal. And what they're asking is if you actually meant objective preference. Well, yeah, no, I, I can certainly see the confusion, and I apologize for that as a writer. Um, yeah, a universal preference and an objective preference, universally preferable behavior is the theory of ethics. Objective refers to specific goal, but the problem is, of course, is that there's an overlap between objective and universal when it comes to, to goals, right? So it is objective that a man confronted with a bowl of gravel and a bowl of toast, if he's hungry and wants to get nutrition, it is objectively required that he eat the toast, not the gravel. However, it's also universal in its application. In other words, all human beings, when confronted with the choice between gravel and toast, who wish to gain nutrition, must eat the toast. That is universal. And so it's not universally preferable behavior 
outside, like outside of the goal or outside of the context. So it's universal in that, I guess that's the overlap with objective, right? Like it is universal that if you have these conditional requirements, I want nutrition, then you have to eat the toast, not the gravel. That is both an objective fact and it's universal. It's not going to change depending on your preferences. Like some people, like, I mean, if you've had kids, right, you know this, or your kids are like, oh, mac and cheese is the greatest thing ever, right? I could live on mac and cheese. I never wanted anything else, right? And then what happens um, about a month later is they say, ew, mac and cheese, <laughs> that's gross. <laughs> it just is the way things are. And so those kinds of tastes can change. But it is universal. Like in the context of gaining nutrition, it is both objective and universal that you got to eat the toast. Uh, whereas it comes to ethics, it's a universal regardless of goal. All right. It looks like, uh, looks like the listener really did appreciate that explanation. So great. Oh, no, no. Great question. I always feel like a cat who's fallen off a balcony. Can I get my legs under me <laughs> in time? You know, I'm not, I'm not trying to scam anyone here, but it's like, I know there's a good answer for this because I've worked on this for a long time, but sometimes it's like, I'm waiting for that answer to pop up. Yeah. All right, go ahead. Of course, of course. All right. So um, I have another question. This was sent to me via direct message. So the listener does not, is not on right now. And I'm just going to hey, read it. Hey, James, my listeners are always on. They're always okay. No, okay. Well, they're, well we're, they're always on. It just may not be on online, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, so I'm just going to read this verbatim, and uh, I'll let you take it away. Okay. Yep. Yes. Yes. Sorry. Yes. Okay. <laughs> okay. Okay. I thought that was rhetorical. Yeah. Okay. Go ahead. Oh well, I guess it kind of was. Um, all right. So why should someone follow UPB? What if someone doesn't care about your objective moral system? What actual incentives do people have to follow it other than some abstract notion of reason? What if people don't care if they're being irrational? It may even be in someone's best interest not to follow it. You could respond with, quote, they'll be unhappy, but so No, what? no, no, they'll, they're happy. No, that's the sad thing, right? Sociopaths are very happy when they have power, right? So th this unhappiness argument uh, doesn't, I mean, do you, do you see Obama sitting in his multi-million dollar Martha's Vineyard mansion being miserable? No, his wife's got a nice PBS special and everybody seems to be going along hunky-dory. You don't see Tony Blair committing suicide. Like, I mean, come on. I mean, I don't mean come on. Like, I mean, the world as a whole, the idea that all immorality leads to unhappiness denies the very basic fact that once people become what Rand called social metaphysicians, right? Once people become adapted in their heart, mind, and soullessness to the approval and pleasurable standards of the, the, the tribe, of the, the mob, of the moment. Once they do that, then it becomes quite the opposite. In other words, they're very unhappy if they displease the tribe, and they're very happy if they please the tribe, right? I mean, they're sophists or manipulators or politicians or whatever it is, right? So, so I, don't, I don't believe that all who do wrong become unhappy. Now, I think that if their wrong is explained to them in a coherent way, then they will become unhappy, which is why they studiously avoid and slander uh, the truth-tellers who might actually explain their immorality to them in a way that hits their heart or whatever. And I've had a couple of occasions of this where people who've done wrong 
I sort of sit down and explain it to them, and it's very, very tough for them. It's very, and that's very, you know, it's just like, uh, it's like, it's like live surgery. It's really not, not fun for either of us. But um, so no, I don't know that you can give people this voodoo curse of unhappiness if they fail to follow UPB because there's just so many counterexamples. Once people sit into that comfortable mud swamp of social approval, then that's where they live. And that's, of course, why they struggle so hard against anybody who tries to redefine what is socially approvable or acceptable. So uh, I accept that as a... Um, I would never say to somebody, follow UPB, or you'll be unhappy, because, I mean, there's times, as we all know, when philosophy doesn't exactly make you happy, right? <laughs> and, and that can last for a while. And there are times, of course, when philosophy can make you both unhappy and dead, right? We see a lot of examples of that throughout history. So, so why would somebody follow UPB? Well, it's impossible to follow UPP in, in the current situation, right? It's, it's impossible to, to enact UPP, right? So UPP, for instance, would say you, cannot, you, you should not profit from stolen goods, you know, because theft is wrong and blah, 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 right? Okay, well, like I live in Canada, right? So if I go to see the doctor, then that's a socialist system that's running here in Canada, right? So I can't follow that i you know you drive on a road you know, whatever it is you pay your taxes so there is no possibility of following upb in the current world and not because upb is some crazy idealistic system it's just that the modern world and it's one of the less corrupt places in in human history at least here in the west but the modern world is kind of corrupt right and, and you can't you can't live in any kind of you can't live with any, with any of the kind of integrity that you would like to live with in a stateless society, in a UPB-accepting society. And again, a UPB-accepting society doesn't mean that there's no evil, there's no wrongdoing, but it's not institutionalized in general, right? It doesn't have overarching power over all of us as individuals, right? So, so not, none of us can follow UPB. I don't know, maybe if you go live in the woods and, and uh, you know, all of that, but uh, then you're kind of only in the woods because... Uh, you, we have an anti-UPB society, as societies all over the world in general are. So, I, you know, I'm, I get these letters all the time, and, and we've had a bunch of call-in shows about this. You know, people who work for the state, but they become voluntarists or anarchists or anarcho-capitalists, and they're like, what do I do? How do I handle it? Should I take uh, retirement benefits and, uh, and all that? And these questions, of course, they can't be answered from an objective moral standpoint because... You've paid into the system. It's all muckety-muck and, and all of that. So, so from that standpoint, I would say I would not expect anybody to follow UPB from a, um, from a standpoint of actually being able to achieve clear virtue in a current statist universe. So hopefully that, that helps. So as far as why somebody would want to follow UPB... Um, well, given that you can't, I think we just have to advocate for it. You know, like if, if you're a black in America in 1700, you can't exactly not be a slave if you're in the South, right? I guess there were a couple of free men, but for the most part, right, you can't really be a slave. You can't really not be a slave, but you can advocate for the end of slavery. And you advocate for the end of slavery using UPB, right? And, and this was actually well understood at the time, though, of course, it wasn't called UPB. 
that you can't both have property and be property because those are two separate categories, right? And so the fact that human beings should not own other human beings was kind of well understood in Enlightenment philosophy and, of course, to some large degree within Christianity as well. And so you couldn't live in a, in a slave-free society. You say live in the South, right? Oh, why, why, you know, can you live in a slave-free society? Well, no. I mean, for most of human history, you could never live in a slave-free society because all societies had slaves. And maybe they were called serfs or whatever it is, right? So you can't follow UPB. You can advocate for UPB. And down the road, could be quite a ways, but, you know, we have to be patient when it comes to changing foundational morals in society. You can't follow UPB. I can't follow UPB. I can advocate for it. And hopefully that is, uh, that, I mean, that is the only way to, to be able to achieve it in the long run. Yeah, it's interesting because um, the, the listener and in, in the question posed to me went on to talk about, you know, how he perceives morality as coming from God with the, you know, heaven and hell being the incentive to be moral. And um, I guess I'm not going to try to imagine what he would respond to, but I think my follow-on question to what you just said would be, so why should I behave as much as close, as closely as possible to UPB in the current environment? Does that make sense? Yeah. I mean, well. Like why should regards, I use UPB? Yeah. Why yeah, should yeah. I use UPB as opposed to some other system in, in the current system? Well, first of all, you probably do. Right. So UPB bans, you know, theft, rape, rape, assault, and murder. I'm going to assume, given that the listeners are generally very fine, moral, and upstanding human beings, that this is not a person who's out there rape, raping, stealing, <laughs> assaulting, and murdering people. So you already do in, in your personal life. You, you can't in your social life, in your political life, and all that. I mean, sorry, you can in your social life, but even to drive to a friend's place for dinner, you've got to use government roads. And so there is no... Uh, purity in a corrupt political order such as we have. And, and I, I'm, I'm not dodging the question. It may sound a little bit like that, but I just want to be clear about, about that aspect. But you do. You do follow UPB in your familial life, I hope, with your, you're not beating up your parents. You're not assaulting your wife. You're not, you know, beating up your kids. You're not murdering your neighbor. I mean, so you are following UPB in your personal life. And that's why the show has always been called the logic of personal and political liberty, like personal coming first. So I follow UPP insofar as negotiating for what I want in my life, not aggressing, not bullying, not threatening. I, of course, do not initiate the use of force against anyone in my family. And in particular, of course, as it's most controversial sometimes with my daughter, I don't initiate the use of force against her. And so you probably are following UPB in the spheres in which you have some direct moral control. And, but you can't follow UPB as, a, as an abstract absolute because, again, it bumps up against uh, the, um, the laws and, and the state power and all of that. You know, I mean, when I was in Hong Kong, um, I said that very clearly. I was on the bridge when this river of half-fascist cops was coming down to break up the anti-communist protests, and I'm like, well, I'm under no illusions about the power of the state, so I'm going to, I'm going to leave. Now, do they have any fundamental moral right to have me leave? No. But that is the reality of the situation, right? So, you know, my 
father died recently. I couldn't go to his funeral because I can't uh, fly there, right? You say, well, I could find some way or whatever it is there, but, you know, those, I don't want to go to jail. <laughs> you know, call me crazy, but that's sort of the reality. So, so as far as following UPB, sure, you know, if you want something, don't steal it. Tr trade for it, you know, create value. If you want to be loved, then treat people with kindness and respect and strength and hold them to account as they hold you and you hold yourself to account. And if you want to have a happy home life, then don't bully and intimidate people. If you want to have a good relationship with your children, don't hit them, don't hack off the end of their penis, don't, uh, you know, like, so as far as, like, why would you follow UPB? I mean, it's almost, and I'm not putting the listener into this category, but if you understand, if the question is asked with genuine seriousness, somebody is saying, why on earth would I not rape people? And again, please, I'm not putting you, the listener, into this, but if, you, if somebody, like you, because you're asking from an abstract philosophical standpoint, which is great, I respect that, it's a very, very important part of the conversation, but if you're ever sitting across from the table from someone who genuinely says, well, why wouldn't I just go out and rape everyone? Why wouldn't I just go out and murder everyone? That may not be a conversation you want to be in <laughs> because you're probably going to end up being called a witness eventually in that kind of relationship. Uh, asking for the check at that point would probably be a little bit of an underreaction. Oh, yeah. Just head to the bathroom and crawl out through the window, man. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Can I, can I ask ahead. a question about... Uh... This has been bothering me for a while. I read the Gulag. I don't know how you say it. Ar archipelago. archipelago, yeah. I keep having brain farts on that word for, for various reasons. But yeah, ar archipelago. Okay. And I know there. this isn't, it's kind of a gray area. And we talked, you talked in the last UPB call that I remember listening to about lying and self-defense. And one of the things Solzhenitsyn said was, one of the reasons we got into this mess is because everyone lied about everyone else. And it was because, you know, part of it was because they wanted to steal from each other. Right? They wanted to take their neighbor's goods. But part of it was because they were afraid of going to jail themselves. And it was like, better my neighbor than me. Sure. And I kind of look at this and I'm like, is that the future of a police state that we see? Is I mean, I know lying in self-defense is justifiable when the gun is to your head. But if everyone does it, then doesn't it just lead to the same thing? Yeah, of course. And Solzhenitsyn had this argument as well. Like if the secret police had been beaten up when they came to get people once in a while, they wouldn't have come as often, right? And and I get all of that. I get all of that. But, you know, once you're in a police state, once you're in that kind of um, totalitarian nightmare, I, I have no moral judgments about what people do. I really don't. You know, like whether Winston Smith gives up Julia or whether he doesn't give up Julia, whether the rat cage on his head is too much or too little, I I can't judge him for that. I mean, nobody's, I mean, just as I would not want to be judged if some hellish scenario exists where somebody puts a rat cage on top of my head or whatever it is, that's the worst thing in the world for someone. And so, but yeah, it does. Like once you're in a predator-prey relationship, then you're kind of judging the rabbits for running from the fox, you know? You should turn and fight. It's like, well, no, but they're the fox and they've got the teeth and you're the rabbit and you have the soft butt that it wants to chew off and uh, you're just then in a predator-prey relationship. And I... I don't judge people in those in those situations like any more than I would judge someone for you know hitting someone with a vase to escape if they've been kidnapped or whatever like I mean or, or they stay right they, they they then it's just calculation for survival it's not a um a moral situation because it's not a freely chosen environment so 
Well, does that mean that the same way out of that scenario was to stick a shiv between the uh, ribs of the stool pigeons, right? That's, I guess that's kind of where it started is someone finally said enough's enough in the prison system and they turned on themselves, right? Because the worst among them were the ones that were ratting out everybody else for special privileges in the camps. And that's, I guess that's kind of what you're saying is suddenly there's a pushback. It wasn't against the police that was locking it up or the state initially, but it was the snowflake that set off the avalanche, I guess. But was it, I mean, was it really? I mean, if you look at Russia, it was not a revolt of the moral that brought down the Soviet system. It was not uh, people deciding to fight back against the secret police. It wasn't people deciding not to snitch on each other. That wasn't what brought down the system. Well, yeah, I mean, it was pretty well established at that point. But I think what what, what it sounded like is the camps started to lose control once someone finally turned against their own inmates that were lying to get special privileges, right? At least the way I read it. Maybe well, okay, but, but, here's, but here's the thing you have to be careful about. And I know that sounds like an obscure finger-wagging nag bot thing, but... You have to be careful, I think, about ascribing moral responsibility to people who are trapped in an overwhelmingly coercive system. They are simply fighting to survive. And you understand that their higher faculties no longer function, really. It is simply a matter of base, preserve the genes, mammalian survival. That's, that's all it becomes. So... Some people will choose to survive. They will try to survive by fighting back. They probably won't do very well because the state has overwhelming force. Some people will try to survive by keeping their heads down and, and not forming any alliances and keeping to themselves, and maybe that will work because they won't get involved in a turf war, but that also means that they're easy pickings because they don't have a tribe, right? Some people will join the wrong, tri wrong tribe, the tribe that loses, and then they'll lose out that way. Some people will comply with the guards. Some people will carry favor with the administration. Some people will become turncoats. I don't, I don't judge any of them because it's not a moral situation. It's not, it's not a moral situation. It's, you know, like a woman who's about to be raped and she says, I have AIDS, right? Okay. She's about to be raped. I don't care what she does to not get raped. I don't care what she does. I don't care if she hits the guy. I don't care if she bites his nose off. I don't care if she kicks him in the groin. I don't care if she saws his balls off. I don't care if she says he has. I don't care. Like whatever happens to him is fine with me because he's raping a woman. Well, what would you recommend that, like, for example, let's just play hypotheticals, which is dangerous, of course, but let's just say... But fun! Well, let's just say that it started now and they just came around knocking on doors and locking people up. And, and what would you recommend the ones that listen to your moral rules? I know you're not going to judge us, but how do, is there anything that we can do to reverse the tide, or is it better just to live and carry on the values? As oh, no, as listen, I mean, for sure. Look, I mean, just speaking about America here, like America was founded on a revolution. Right? So, I mean, the only reason that there are freedoms to defend in America is because America took up arms against the British, right? And so, you know, I, I think, you know, if if totalitarianism truly comes and there are more guns than people in America and there's, you know, the 
Second Amendment and and all of that. Like if 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 tyranny is really coming to America in particular, uh, it would not. I mean, it would it would be honoring the history of America to uh, to resist, right? By by whatever means necessary. Okay, yeah, that makes that makes sense to me. I mean, I could see pushing back against the corrupt government, and I and I I hope it doesn't come to that. But oh, absolutely! I mean, the the whole point of this conversation is so that it doesn't come to that. That people can push back against these false moral theories that are really driving these expansions of state power. Well, and that actually raises another point, and I'm I hope I'm not hogging too much time. Hog but, away, um, my friend. The Weimar Republic. So I know I, I, I am. I think you're on the same page as I am. On I've known this before. I even was listening to you. Is this hyperinflation is a foregone conclusion for me? Right? Oh, like, yeah, I yeah. don't think there's. I don't think it's impossible to avoid it. I think it's already happened. It just we're not living in reality yet. Well, it's either going to be hyperinflation or it's going to be a severe revaluation of the currency. Like how, like, like what, uh, what happened under Hitler with, the, or what happened after the end of the Second World War, when they just radically revalued the currency, and uh, it was, it was pretty brutal. But I mean, that's that's how you have to cure it in general. And and so, yeah, it's, it could be hyperinflation, or it could be um, a very um, decisive or the, the uh, revaluation of the currency. See, Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, the big difference I see is we have nukes, so. World War II isn't really a feasible option anymore. So, I, I mean, we could have a world leader like a Hitler in the U.S. that, you know, people suffering in the welfare state and everyone clamoring for votes. I could see something like, you know, that rising to power. But I just don't see it leading to a huge global conflict because the stakes are so high that I think the international communities would rather avoid that. And I think that's the whole reason the euro was created in the first place. To be honest, I think it was to try to avoid, to keep international trade, but avoid war. Now, obviously, well, that's the uh, you know that's the cover story, right? We we can't have the Second World War happen again. Of course, after the First World War, as you know, they created the League of Nations, didn't do a damn thing. After the Second World War, they created the uh, well, I mean, a long time after the Second World War, the EU was birthed, and it was birthed by communists. I mean, the whole point was was I mean, they they sell it as you know, this is the peace, right? And it's like invasion of the body snatchers, right? Uh, it's all peaceful afterwards. It's like, yeah, but you're soulless and dead, and you're a zombie, and you're an automaton. And if you ever want to watch the Donald Sutherland and Leonard Nimoy invasion of the body snatchers movie, it's entirely about communism taking over in America, even even through the mental health system, the psychiatrists, I mean, it's and, and through the police and through this general takeover. I mean, it is just an incredible uh, explication, I'd highly recommend the movie, incredible explication of exactly what McCarthy was talking about. It's a, it's a wonderful, powerful, deep and incredible metaphor that people lose their humanity and get reborn or reshaped in these soulless shadows of ideology and, and they lose complexity and everything becomes simple and there's violence and even the sound that the sorry just a little beside right but even the sound that the zombies make the re you know this is the the joke that's made about people on online like the nbc's getting upset and all of that and yeah people who are incredibly passive until they're disagreed with or until somebody shows us a flash of humanity or originality or thought and then they just chase them down and and destroy them uh, and so, yeah, I just wanted to put that little pitch in for that movie, uh, Invasion of the Body Snatchers. I think it was 78 or something like that. Even even to the point 
where Christianity shows up later in the movie as the opposing force to the communist takeover. It's really an amazing movie. I actually read the book before I saw the movie. I read the book when I was a kid. Given that the movie came out in 78 when I was 12, I must have read the book when I was 10 or 11. And there was a great bit in the book where he talks about, the writer talks about how human beings can't be fundamentally original. Like we can't create something completely new. We can only assemble different things. Like you can have a horse with wings, like a horse and a bird uh, together. You can have uh, a lizard with wings, call it a dragon. Uh, but you, you can have a dragon breathe fire, but you know, it's just a lizard with wings that you've added the attribute fire to. You actually can't create things new. And I remember as a kid being really fascinated by that idea and trying to think, okay, what could I create that would be completely new? Of course, it took me a little while, <laughs> but uh, uh, it, it is able to be achieved eventually. But uh, no, I mean, you could argue that the current, like because there are nuclear weapons, what's happened is the evildoers have infiltrated rather than attacked. And infiltration, arguably, is worse than attack, right? Because infiltration is corruption from within. It's the difference between cancer and assault. Assault you can fight back. Cancer kind of creeps up on you. So, um, yeah, uh, it is. Uh, yeah, the, the nuclear weapons meant that war is no longer an option. And because war is no longer an option, infiltration must be the uh, way forward for the evildoers and that is um, you know arguably in the long run is is even worse do you w one last question do you think that the i heard there's a very high prevalence somewhere in the 80 percent plus and i think i heard it from you that most of russia is orthodox christian now and is that a is that an effect of the pendulum swing is that going from this horrible stateless reality statist statist reality and then suddenly swinging the opposite direction well human beings can't be cured of our desire for a higher state of mind because it what is what defines us as human beings i mean whales have language you know monkeys have concepts um so what is it that defines us as human beings is abstract universals and to cure, the only way to cure a human being of an addiction to abstract universals is to put a bullet in the wetware that generates his thirst for them. It is what defines us as human beings. And so for me, UPB is, okay, well, let's hook in these abstract universals and our thirst for them and our desire for them and our manifestation of them to do some good, to do some good, right? Because, I mean, Christianity, of course, has abstract universals. Communism and socialism, they have their abstract universals. Fascism has their abstract universals. And we are going to, you know, like, like this, it's like that old Leonard Cohen song, you, you got to serve somebody. You got to, everybody got to serve someone. And we all have to serve abstract universals. That's the machinery that makes us human. We can't bypass or escape that, except maybe with a brain tumor or extraordinarily low IQ. But we, we're going to serve. We're going to serve some abstracts. And the communists have their abstracts, right? They have their, their class, they have their economic determinism, they have their thesis, antithesis, and synthesis, they have uh, property is theft, uh, now which again has kind of been misinterpreted these days, it actually meant aristocratic property originally, but they have their universals, they have their gods, right? The proletariat, the, 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 the working class, they have their devils, which is the, uh, the rich, the, owners of the means of production. They have their 
you know, you have the you know, all the beliefs. You have the God, you have the devil, then you have the human being, right? So Zoroastrianism is a belief. It's very Manichaean, right? So in Zoroastrianism, you have good, you have evil. They're evenly balanced, and it's human beings who have to make the choice which way, which way the co- the coin falls, so to speak. So you always have you have your gods, your devils, and you have your intermediaries, right? So communism, you've got your gods, uh, the working classes. You have your devils, which is the owners, and then you have the enlightened proletariat, the lower middle classes, you have the people who make the choice, who make the decision. The revolutionaries themselves become the human beings who tip the balance from the evils of the capitalists to the virtues of the working class and so on, right? So, Because you've got to have great good, you've got to have great evil in order to motivate yourself, and you also have to believe that it's your free will that is going to make the difference. And that's, that's common everywhere across all beliefs, all ideologies that I've ever looked at. Right, I mean, you've got God, you've got the devil, and you've got the human being who makes the choice, and the choice is absolutely essential. We have this, of course, in libertarianism. We have this uh, in in uh, even in postmodernism. Right, I mean, you have the devil called objectivity, you have the God called subjectivity, and human beings must choose subjectivity. I mean, they, they must feed subjectivity and deny the the beast, the the devil of of objectivity. And so the reason why Russia becomes, I, I can't remember the statistics, maybe it came from me, maybe it didn't, let's say it's true, 80% Christian, is because Christianity gave way to communism, gave way to what? People can't get out of bed unless they have a purpose. They can't get out of bed unless they have something to serve. And to me, depression is when you, you lose something to serve. What is it that gives your life shape and meaning and purpose? Why are you getting out of bed? Why are you stuffing your face with food? Why do you take a shit in the morning? Why do you, like, why? Why? What's the point? I mean, you're just a bunch of cells and you're going to live, you're going to get old, you're going to get creaky, you're going to piss yourself and you're going to die. We have only one thing as our foundational motive power. And that is the salvation and the serving of universal concepts. Now, for some it's God, for some it's class, for some it's freedom, for some it's the constitution, for some it's the country, for some it's the race, for some it's, right? It doesn't matter. I mean, it matters from a philosophical standpoint, but as far as the methodology goes, it doesn't matter. And once you get that we are all chasing these universals we are all serving these universals or we're stagnant completely and we become depressed and and probably suicidal and and so when people aren't allowed to be patriotic i mean you look at the most patriotic aspects of america the most patriotic places in america they tend to be the ones that are the most unhappy because they they're being deprived of the concept they wish to serve the united states of america and people transitioned from Christ because that was a new God, devil and fulcrum, the the, the tipping point between good and evil, which is the individual. And then when communism collapsed, they reverted to Christianity. And these, I mean, they're in many ways, they're complete opposites when it comes to virtue and and morality. But as far as the general methodology we are hounds forever on the scent of the universal. I mean, why 
why am I so hated by certain sections of society, certain individuals within society? Because I'm attempting to change the universal that people follow. That's the most powerful thing you can do. Attempting to grab the biggest and deepest lever in the world and get people to change the universals that they follow. Now, of course, it's not to me, it's to philosophy, it's to universally preferable behavior, it's to rational virtues. But everybody serves some universal, some ideal. It can be Taylor Swift, for heaven's sakes. It can be a rap star. But everybody idealizes and subjugates. So the fact that Christianity came into, it's a vacuum. It's a vacuum, right? You, you lose one set of belief and you spin your wheels in great desperation until you find something else. And it's like, philosophy is like science in that way, right? So nature to be commanded must be obeyed. And virtue to be commanded must be obeyed, right? Happiness to be commanded must be obeyed. You must obey the path that's going to get you there. And when you see this trinity, right? The God, the devil, and the all-powerful human being who must choose between them and whose fate Whose, whose choice determines the fate in a sense of the universe, whether that universe is the self or society or whatever it is, right? Once you see that pattern, you, you, can't, not, you, you can't unsee it, so to speak. And, and it's not a coincidence, to take a silly example, that when Christianity began to fall in the West, you know, four mop-top mop head singers and musicians from Liverpool came over and women wet their panties screaming at them because that's now their ideal that they must subjugate before. And you see this hysteria with these early Beatles concerts, right? That's why they gave up touring. They said, we can't even hear our own music. There's so much screaming, right? Bewildering. Crazy. But that's because people need an abstract ideal to serve. And if you take one away, they will just make another one, which is why communists have to get rid of Christianity. And that's why the communists hate me, trying to, saying, okay, I'm not sure we can go back to Christianity right now or ever, but maybe philosophy. In fact, yes, philosophy. And having solved the problem of ethics in philosophy, that, in a sense, resurrects the greatest power of religion, which is its explication of moral absolutes. But it does it philosophically, which means it doesn't rely upon faith, which means that People feel enormously threatened and subjugated by UPB. I'm not talking about these listeners, but just to understand, like, this theory's been around for 12 or 13 years now. It's never been disproven. People fight back at it. They roll their eyes at it. They, they get angry at it. They, you know, they, they pretend it doesn't exist. All that kind of stuff, right? Because if UPB is true, then you have to subjugate yourself to it. Or you have to find something else that you have to subjugate to. But because UPB is so rational, it's kind of hard to accept a substitute, which is based upon faith and based upon contradictions and based upon subjectivism and based upon tradition and based upon, you know, men in funny hats or whatever it is, right? Or little hats, right? So, so this totalitarian aspect of UPB, which of course sounds really, really contradictory. It's not totalitarian in that it's enforced in any coercive manner. 
But if you accept UPB, then that becomes the abstraction that motivates you. It becomes the abstraction that you, I won't say worship, because philosophy is not about worship. But it's what you follow. And we all have to follow something, or we're just animals. We're just, you know, bald apes with opposable thumbs and cool, flashy things in our hands, right? So, yeah, to me, the reality or the fact that Russians went from Christianity to communism to Christianity again, once you see, and, and that's, you know, I mean, I've kind of known that for a while, but that's, that's why. UPB is so volatile for so many people. Why you get all this eye-rolling, why you get all of this, oh, it's just ridiculous, or it's garbage, or it's just cunty and warmed over, or blah, 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 blah. Because, and this is why people won't answer the basic question, can rape be universally preferable behavior? They won't answer that question. Because once they say yes, they're now saluting a new master. Not me, but philosophy, but rational ethics. And they don't want to change their allegiance. They're comfortable where they are, their social circle, their marriages, their maybe their careers, the moral decisions they've made in their life are all based upon one set of physics, if those physics turn out to be superstition. I mean, even hedonism is an abstract the people worship. Pot is an abstract the people worship. You know, uh, it's, the, it's the, the door to enlightenment. It's, you know, like it's, it's, it's an herb, it's a medicine. It's a, you know, like they, they can't just make it an addiction. They have to make it cool. What do they call this in the um, fashion industry? Heroin chic. It was back in the 90s, I think, with all these skinny models with hollow eyes brawled out across couches, uh, showing off mini skirts with needles all around them. It became, it, it can't just be a, a filthy shadowed addiction from early child abuse. It has to be something that, that is made into an abstraction that is cool, that is worthy of veneration of, of some kind. And so it's not, it's not shocking. And again, you see this pattern and, um, you know, maybe I'll do a, more examples in, in a show, but you'll just, you'll see it, you'll see it everywhere. And so, yeah, it's, it, to me, it's not surprising. People will, they, they can't survive. They can't survive without an abstract value to follow. They can't, which is why, you know, you get all these fucking communists that come into universities, what's the first thing they do is they start to say, oh, you're only on this land because you genocided the natives, right? You can't possibly worship the society or the civilization that you live in. Oh, you can't have any, any preference for your family. You can't have any preference for your neighborhood. Why? Because your mother is enslaved by the patriarchy and you stole this land from the Indians and your houses were built by slaves. Right? They just take away anything that you could venerate, anything that you could worship, they will just strip it away. And that way, when you're left hollow and broken, they come along and say, the dictatorship of the proletariat is the ideal for human society. And you're broken down. You can't believe in your God. You can't believe in your country. You can't believe in your family. You can't believe in your neighborhood. You can't believe in your society. They've taken all that away. And then they give you a new drug and you're so hungry for it that you dye your hair blue and press rape charges against often innocent young men. Take away one drug and you will be clamoring for another one. Now UPB is the methadone, UPB is the cure, which is why it can't be, it can't be spoken of. Look, I mean, obviously with regards to atheists, there should be 
I mean, there should be conferences about this. Like, okay, this guy solved the problem of ethics. You know, maybe he's full of crap, but let's at least bring him in to speak, right? But you see, but the atheism is used to take away the God so that they can substitute the communism. Now you have your Manichaean worldview. You have your angels, your devils, you have your intermediary yourself. You are harvesting the revolution. You have a purpose. Right as Dan West says, the issue is never the issue. The issue is always the revolution. What furthers the revolution? Why did they talk about Kavanaugh and the ridiculous accusations against him when they don't talk about the much more serious and now being investigated allegations against Joe Biden? Because they don't care about sexual assault. They don't care about these allegations. They care about the revolution. And Kavanaugh was in the way, and Joe Biden furthers it. So you'll attack Kavanaugh, but then for far more credible and serious allegations, you'll ignore them for Biden, because the purpose is the revolution. They don't care about the ethics. Now you have a purpose. Now you have an abstraction that you can worship, that you can organize your life by, that you can feel good about, that you can advance, that you can measure the revolution to totalitarianism, to communism. Of course, you don't call it totalitarianism. You call it justice, you call it, right? The liberation of the proletariat and the punishment of the unjust capitalists who've stolen all of their wealth. But the atheists don't want to know about UPB because the atheism in general is being run by socialists, being run by communists, and they don't want UPB because by they don't take down God to put up UPB. They take down God to put up communism. Socialism themselves, their power. So they don't, right? They don't want to spend a hundred years knocking down a building to have me build something better at its place. No, they spend all that time knocking down buildings so they can build their own building there, their their own gulag, their own prison state, right? And this is where you know the criticism of libertarians as useful idiots comes in as well, right? Because yeah, look, libertarians should. This is a this is a big, powerful new theory of of ethics, and it's not easy to push over. It's not easy to defend. Don't get me wrong. I mean, sometimes you know, like when it comes to some of the earlier questions, you know, it's it's hard work. And and you know, the people who ask these questions, I love you for it. I thank you for it. I worship you for it. I guess I could dare say, I know it's great, but the theory's held. There isn't some obvious disproof out there that's like, oh, well, he just didn't think about this. It's like, yeah, okay, some of the language could be cleaned up a little bit, and, and I wrote the book 12 years ago, and I did do a shortened version for it for essential philosophy that I think is more clear. But again, I get it. You know, you can pick these two words, morals versus ethics, and universal versus um, objective and all of that. And I get it. You know, it's a little... It's a little but just get into the rape, theft, assault, murder, boom, like it's done, right? It's done. It's been done from the very beginning. It's been done probably, I think, from the Proving Libertarian Morality that I published in 2006, I think it was, on lewrockwell.com. And so, yeah, this is, I mean, it's a huge discovery. You really could say the biggest in, in philosophy. And people should be very excited about it, and they should be grabbing at it if they want the truth and if they want virtue and if they want to solve the is-ought dichotomy and if they want to solve the issue of morality. But of course, the atheists, to some degree the libertarians, I'm not sure they do want to solve it because this is, this is the answer. And it's not like I've been averse to talking about it. I mean, I've spoken about it at conferences. I've done PowerPoint presentations. I've done in-person presentations. I've done endless debates. I'm happy to have these conversations. Man, I'm happy to keep explicating this salvation, right? Because, you know, communism did not stand against, sorry, Christianity did not stand against communism. If it's not going to be philosophy, it's not going to be anything. 
Now, Christianity, which I, again, I have significant respect for these days, is fighting hard. But Christianity still remains faith-based and has issues with regards to the Isort dichotomy. It has issues with regards to the foundation of ethics being the word of God and you know, the, the four commandments, because I'm more efficient, right? I've got to be much more efficient than Christianity. There are ten commandments. The four commandments. Thou shalt not rape, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not assault, thou shalt not murder. Four commandments of UPB. It's all, right? Um, if it's not going to be, UPB is the last, it's the last spear. It's the last defense. It's the last wall between the wolves and the sheep. It's the last wall. And people who aren't working to shore up that wall, well, they're going to end up with um, some very frightened blood on their hands, I think. I mean, again, I'm not talking about anybody in this conversation, but listen to this, but there's nothing. Behind UPB, there's nothing. There's just the sheep. And unfortunately, the wolves also include the people who are downplaying it and, and mocking it and and rolling their eyes at it. And they, you know, they did that to Rand, and of course they did that to Socrates, right? So it's not, uh, it's it's sadly decent company, but they're going to either end up worshipping Marx or philosophy, blood or thought, violence or reason. And if somebody's got a better theory of ethics, I'd love to hear it and I'll get behind it, but this is the one. And that's why I do work so hard to promote it and why I'm very happy to have these conversations about it. That's the end of the speech. <laughs> Just in case everybody dozed off. All right, well, thank you very much. For that. Oh, Aaron, did you want to? No, I was just going to say thanks for that. That was, uh, yeah, I always compared it to the pendulum swinging one way and then back towards the other way. And that's I always thought UPB was the third way. Yeah, hopefully. Hopefully, because it is not a collectivist mindset. It can be understood by an individual. It doesn't require others to believe. And so, yeah, because it's profoundly individualistic, it also does push back against collectivism and so on. So, yeah, I appreciate that. And hopefully it is the third way, and hopefully, um, I mean, it never would have been heard of without the internet. So uh, let's uh, let's uh, hope hope that it's not the last smoking book found in the ruins of the future that rebuilds the next age. All right, do we want to do another another question or another comment? Well, we have a couple of uh, other questions that are part of the UPB conversation, but we also have a listener um, that uh, has been waiting to uh, chat tonight. So if you want to do that. I will let you decide. Well, I think, um, I think we can have another UPB roundtable in the future because I think sure. this one went pretty well. And I think we'll move on to a listener question because we've been having, we've had some people waiting. So yeah, no, please do. All right. So tonight uh, I'm going to call this fellow George. And uh, so George writes, I recently ended a relationship that lasted a year and a half with a girl who I think had a lot of good qualities. However, she was anxious and insecure. We ultimately determined that we disagreed on some major issues, such as her having the viewpoint that she had been born that way and that therapy wasn't going to help when that was my primary suggestion for resolving these issues. At this point, I think I've extracted the things I did 
that made me a good partner within the relationship, as well as what I should look for in the future to avoid repeating the experience. My main question at this point is, how do I know when I'm ready to start looking for another relationship? His background is he's got an ACE score of six. He's 22, a graduate student. He's gone through several months of therapy in the past. Right. So that's a, it's a great question. And I'm sorry for the breakup. I really am. That's it's, it's a that's a significant time investment, particularly for a young man. And I'm sorry that it didn't work out. Yeah, no problem. So why? Uh, so that's the nice side of me. so why why were you so driven to rescue this woman who clearly told you that she didn't want to be rescued and did not consider rescuing as a possibility why were you driven to rescue her sure um i I, so i would say during the last portion of the relationship is really where a lot i'd say second half is really where a lot of those things became started to slap me in the face as, as far as being a lot more obvious um and i in the back of my mind you know i always knew i was kind of aware of the under of the concept that you shouldn't try to change other people you know i've heard you discuss it many times you shouldn't try to change other people's relationship because no, 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 no. Hang on, hang on, hang on. That's that's a bit broad. So first of all, and I'm sorry to be pestering you about no, no, this, okay. but but no, listen, I mean, your microphone sounds really terrible. I'm sorry. And look, look, I mean, seriously, I mean, these conversations are going to be listened to for centuries. It's 15 bucks to get a decent mic. Honestly, you could just get a little headset. Or you can order them online if you don't have to go out anywhere. I'm just going to, not necessarily you, because I'm kind of cornering you here, but just for the people in the future, and I said this years ago, it's like, it's really not much to get a decent mic. I'm not asking for an investment of hundreds of dollars here. Just, you know, something where we can have a conversation where it doesn't sound like an AM radio is shitting in my ear. So uh, <laughs> I apologize for that. Yeah, that's I, fine. That's fine. You know, just, and, you know, just, just record it and play it back. There's little recorders and windows and a Mac on your – just little things, you know, little things. Uh, it, it, they're very cheap and uh, can make all the difference. So I just – sorry to put you on the spot for that, but just for others – uh, it would be a because you know what will happen is people will be like, oh man, this guy's voice is so harsh, I can't listen to this convo, and it's like a real shame because it's a very important right. conversation. So anyway, um, no, listen, you can work, you can absolutely work to change people in relationships, but heavens, we all have free will, you know. I mean, we we, we should, of course, you should. Well, I mean, what's the point of being in a relationship if you don't change each other? Then you're just two people completely unaffecting each other, right? <laughs> of course, you should try and change people in relationship, but. They should be part of that process. They should accept it and want it. Uh, yeah, sure, absolutely. Right. So, so she didn't, right? Because she told you pretty clearly, "I'm I'm born this way." It's like you're trying to talk me out of being blue-eyed or short or whatever it is, right? So, she told you very clearly that she wasn't going to do it, right? Right, and that that actually was at the very end of the relationship, and that's kind ah, of. no, no, no. Hang on. You just said it was the last half. A lot of the, a lot of the anxiety and insecurity became a lot more obvious and started to cause a lot more problems to, towards the second half. And in the last month or so was where we had that that specific conversation where I was recommending therapy. And she's like, because we had gone to couples counseling um, at uh, in the last in the last month. Um, and I was kind of recommending because a lot the counselor kind of was mainly speaking to her for the most of the sessions and trying and giving her suggestions on how to deal with 
you know, mindfulness and how to deal with the, the anxiety and things like that. Um, and I was suggesting to her, you know, a lot of these foundational issues are, are not, you're not going to get to the root of them, of them by, uh, uh, she was, she was on, she had started, um, a SSRI, uh, and she oh, thought that that would be helpful, right? Yeah. And I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm in pharmacy school and I'm extremely skeptical, skeptical of the psychiatric community in general, but she thought she had, it seemed like she had more hope for that than an actual look into her past. And we had had conversations about uh, her past because, you know, I listen, I, I obviously, I've listened to the show for a while and have tried to apply some of the things that I've, that I've heard you talk about to her. Yeah, but of course, the people in my show are calling in. I'm not right. chasing them, right? Yeah, absolutely. Right, right. Yeah, that's... that's... Okay, so, so you, you, you're putting forward a hypothesis here, which is very interesting given that you've sure. listened to the show for a long time. So you're put following a hypothesis here that you couldn't have known about this early on in the relationship, if I understand you correctly. Um, I would say, I would say that looking back, I mean, okay, so yeah, there, there are definitely things that I've, that I've identified that, so for example, um, on the first date, um, I learned that she had she like uh, tried alcohol before she was 20 or before she was uh, 21 okay that's not yeah sorry i I can't get too outraged about that especially because i tried it too before i was 21 right Right. um i I think i'm one of the few people who actually didn't surprise it's oh good for you man good for you you know my dad was a borderline alcoholic but um maybe because yeah exactly yeah um but and, and she, you know, she didn't you she didn't, she drank, you know, a beer or two on the weekend or something like that. So it wasn't really, that wasn't really an issue. Um, could, could you do me a favor? Yes, sir. Could you, could you tell me about the things that are issues rather than the things that aren't issues? Because, again, no, last, I'm, I'm, week, last week I got a strong sense of my own mortality. Right. So I'm, uh, I'm t- I, I just brought that up because it became more of an issue later in the relationship. She kind of used it. No, no, I'm talking about the things the that you could have seen early in the relationship. Sure. Okay. No, go ahead. What, uh, what, what could you have seen? Because, you know, everybody has this story, right? And, right? and listen, I've, I've told the same story, which was, you know, uh, you know, we went out for a long time. Towards the end, you know, you know, wasn't that great. But, uh, you know, come on. It, it, there were signs. And the reason I'm saying this to you is not to disrespect your past relationship or your past judgment, right. but because if you sit there and say, oh my God, I've got to invest a year in a relationship before I, before I find out if the woman is sane, you know what you'll never do is fall in love again. No, yeah, absolutely. You will yeah. never fall in love again if you can't trust your judgment early on. And so we got to look back and say, what did you miss? So that you can trust yourself going forward and genuinely fall in love in a sustainable way rather than this torture device of trying to rescue someone who's trying to bite you as you try and drag you out of, drag them out of the coffin right exactly um okay what was it early on we're looking back it's, it, it's difficult and i i i 100 okay believe that okay hang on so let me let me help you about this so what sure. was it that attracted you her in the first place um, so on our first date, we talked about a lot of the things that I thought were important, kind of my non-negotiables, like 
want to homeschool? What do you what do you think of stay at home parenting? What was your kind of personality like? Do you do you what what is your relationship with with problem solving and relationships and those kinds of things? And some of the things she said didn't measure up to how she behaved later, um, which was kind of I mean that that does kind of require time because people can say one thing and then act a different way, but. Uh, that what attracted me to her in in the beginning was those things that I was looking for because I did want a stable long term relationship that that ended in a in a you know peaceful family. Right, and how pretty was she? Um, I would say seven, seven out of ten. And where do you sit? Um, I would, I think, pretty equal actually. Pretty equal. Okay. Yeah. And was there any particular physical attribute that she had? You know, are you a butt man? Are you a boob man? Are you a leg man? That that may have clouded your judgment over and above, say, just facial attraction? No, I wouldn't say so. Okay. All right. Okay. Now, she gave you good answers, and then she gave you bad actions in the long run, right? Sure. Okay. So she's, you know, what they call a chameleon, right? Right. And what were the indications that she was a chameleon. In other words, what evidence was there in her life as a whole that counteracted the claims that she was making about how she made her decisions in life? Well, I, so as far as the things with what she wanted in a family i don't i don't think i think i think those were pretty constant as far as her her ability to problem okay so here here's something the the one of the first things she said that it was in our kind of first conversations was if you uh if you have a problem with someone then it's best to be direct and to, and to bring it up and tell them what you want um and that was something that you know during the first part of the relationship i had i had been i had talked about my my previous relationship which i mean it was it was like two months of me talking to a girl in my dance class over text like i don't know if you could really call it a relationship but we went on one day but so i i kind of talked about my experience in the previous relationship and what, what i had learned from that and she, you know, I mentioned she was insecure. She was having major internal reactions, as she described them later, that made her feel horrible. Just because I, I, I was talking about a, me interacting with, with a, pre, a girl in a previous relationship, and she never mentioned that until months later. Um, Wait, so she was upset because this other girl was a dancer, or or what? Be, uh, well, she was. Upset. You know, a lot of women can sure. be intimidated by dancers, right? Sure. She was she was upset. Uh, she was explained it that she was upset that I was talking about the previous relationship, you know, her perception more than I was talking about her. Um, and but you were using it to I illustrate did, something you've learned, right? Sure. Yes. Um, I, in, in some cases, in some cases, in on the yes, in some cases, in in other cases, like. I made I made a joke about like uh, uh, one time I was trying to get dressed in the morning and I was decided to be dumb so I tried to see if I could get dressed by jumping into my pants and I fell on the floor like in a failed uh, pile so and the uh, 
the pre in the previous relationship, like the other girl had had tried to do that too, and I just mentioned, no, oh, that was the only other person that that I wait. You you there. haven't uh, you'd never tried alcohol, but you tried parkouring your own pants. Yes, I got to admire that. That uh, respect, <laughs> man. Um. So so I and and I didn't you know think any of that at the time, and I don't think that's I don't think that's a wrong thing to do or in I don't I don't think bringing that up is insensitive towards a new partner and maybe my standards are out of whack there I'm not sure um but uh, so there was there were, there were things like that and then there were also uh yeah but I, she probably had a father who cheated right it was actually her mother oh it was her mother who cheated okay yeah so so because she's she's seen that right whenever somebody's going to talk positively about someone outside the relationship it's going to trigger and like that kind of stuff right right and that that's kind of what i where i was trying to hit because i i had had discussions with her about i i think you are feeling threatened in this in this or in that position when i was talking about someone else i feel like i think you're had this sensation that i'm going to that i'm constantly wanting other women because that was something she expressed she was worried about um because of your past experience with your mother being unfaithful to your father. Um, and her mother also had MS, really bad, really bad attack. Well, that's a uncontrolled. Weird, weird kind of respect for her then too. <laughs> I right. mean, to have MS and pull off an affair, that's a, man, that's a, that's a strong will, man. You got to really want that. And, and, and her, her, um, her parents are still, are still married as well. Uh, her right. father kind of, and I don't think it was, it, it was like, it wasn't like she, her mother went off and, and banged another guy. I think she was at a party and she kissed a guy that she might have been drinking or something like that. But it, I mean, obviously, you know, that's still bad, but I'm not sure. Maybe there are gradations of bad. I've, uh, I've heard worse. Right. Okay. And what was this girl insecure about? Um, so she was not confident in her intellectual ability um she was constantly worried about under failing school she's in, in college right now um but it, you know it, which didn't make any sense because her academic performance was perfectly fine uh she was get she would get a's all the time um she and that she i think she i got the impression that she felt threatened by my intelligence because i'm a very I, I believe I'm a fairly verbally proficient person and I like you listening to this show and I like listening to debates and I like to debate people. And she, I think was intimidated by that. She didn't, she kind of shut down whenever, when, when I was trying to. Oh, okay. So yeah. So yeah. she's sorry to interrupt, but so she's uh, fallen for this lie that men and women have to be exactly the same in order to be compatible. I'm not necessarily sure about that. I don't think I ever ever heard her say something. No, no, no. I, I, I'm not saying she would have verbalized it, right? Sure, sure. But it's sort of like saying that you know you, you you're looking for a place to plug in your computer, uh, in in and the the there's no hole in the wall. There's just stuff sticking out, and you say, oh well, I guess these are compatible. It's like no, they're not. They're the same, and that means they're not compatible, right? So, right. for men and women, being the same is not being compatible. We have to be different in order to be compatible, just as you've got to have an outie and an innie to have sex, right? I mean, sure. so, yeah, so I, I, 
There is this funny thing that's that's been going on, and again, not to harp on the communists, but you know, they're sort of promoting this. They say men and women are the same, right? And what what that means is that men try to compete with women at what women are good at, and women try to compete with men with what men are good at, and everybody ends up feeling insecure and frustrated, and right. nobody gets along, right? So look, as a man, it's likely at the higher levels of intelligence that you are outstripping her, just statistically, right? There's tons right. of exceptions, but you know, you know the data as well as I do, that the highest levels of intelligence, there are progressively fewer women compared to the men. For sure. And... So she's probably been told, like, all this empowerment crap, you know? Like, I mean, uh, you know, you didn't need a whole cheerleading squad saying to Albert Einstein, you're just a great physicist. You should really believe in yourself, you know? <laughs> like, yeah. come on, you know? Uh, he didn't need to be talked out of a tree that he just didn't think he did anything good with his life or anything like that. Um, so. And, and so that was one thing she was insecure about. Another thing, and I think that was, I, I think, minor compared to her insecurity about her um her physical insecurities and that i think there, there seems to be a family history of that her mother when she was younger had anorexia um and uh my, my girlfriend had had two, an older and a younger sister the younger sister was throwing up intentionally at one point during the relationship to because she was oh, bulimic right? yeah uh and my girlfriend was uh, somewhat underweight uh, when I met her, she got better about that, but she was also, I guess you could say, diagnosable to the degree that, you know, anorexic. So you had a girlfriend who had an eating disorder? Yes, uh, but shortly after we started dating, she, that, that didn't, like, she got up to a normal weight. So I, I, that didn't seem like a, as much of a concern when she recognized that, and because she did recognize it. And, and Do you think that's just fixed by eating? No, the, the psychological component, there's definitely something that they're still remaining. And that obviously the physical insecurity never went away right up to the end. That, that was still an So issue. she comes from a family where all of the women have eating disorders? Uh, not, not all of the women. Her older sister managed to escape that. No. Okay, sorry. Three out of the four. <laughs> yes. Okay, that's slightly better odds, but not great. Right. Because, I mean, eating disorders are, to me, just my amateur, obviously, opinion... I mean, they're really signs of very disturbed character. Oh, I'm, yes. Very disturbed character problems. In the same way that, um, to me, obesity is, uh, uh, being that much overweight is usually a sign of some significant character issues. Yeah, I'm not saying they're not fixable or anything, but they're, you know. Right. It's a, it's, a pretty, it's a pretty big deal to have that kind of relationship with food. Right. Do you know why she had this relationship with food? Um... So there was, she had talked before about what, that she used to get complimented on how skinny she was. Um, and so maybe that was a driving factor that, that she nope. got attention Nope, for that it. can't be it. No, that can't be it. That can't be it. I mean... You know, I, I got complimented for my writing ability when I was a kid. That didn't mean I set fire to all of my books, right? Right. So, right. no, that's not. You're good at soccer doesn't mean that you end up uh, eating the soccer ball, right? I mean, that, that you don't have a pathological relationship with something that you're just praised for, right? It can't be that. Sure. No, and I, I don't, yeah. Because then, heaven forbid, you praised your child, right? Right, yeah. I'd, I'd like to praise you for this, but I don't want you to go insane about it, right? So, no, it's not. it's not that. Well, I guess the only, I know that that's not like 
the where it set off because of the, obviously her her mother had an influence in in and, and I, there was a book I read, Healing the Shame It Binds. I think we we actually read it together. We had it recommended by my my therapist, and, and we kind of went through some of it. And one of the things that we we kind of stood out for us was an a an unresolved issue in a parent will be kind of unconsciously transmitted. And I know you've talked about that as well, but unconsciously that shame will be unconsciously transmitted to the child in a lot of cases. And so I think that was that that was obviously a factor there. But as but as far as her needing validation from external sources, um that seems to be because I, I, we constantly yeah, but we we all need no, no, we we all need validation from external sources. I mean, that's you know the, the Howard Rock is a fictional character, right? I mean, we all need validation from external sources. I mean, sure. Uh, so you know, I I not, need not I need some donations. I need some praise. I mean, I'm not going to pretend to be some sort of man island in interstellar space. You know, I don't care what anyone thinks. Of course, it's not true, right? Sure. So I mean, that's not. I mean, I just tell you this is probably not true, uh, but I'll just tell you for the sake of full disclosure, as I always do, um, when I see body dysmorphia, when I see bulimia, anorexia, boom, sexual abuse. Because why on earth would somebody want to make themselves that unattractive? It's the same thing with obesity. I, I, I'm not saying it's always the case, obviously, right? I'm just saying that's where my mind goes. And uh, so far, it's been a, 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 a dismally accurate track record. I... I'm I, I'm gonna push back on that a little bit because you I, should your life. Yeah, <laughs> I'm just I, telling I, you what I, I think. Sure, sure. I I don't I did not think she was unattractive um, even when she was a little bit underweight and she the people. No, but you don't know where she'd been coming from, right? She may have been gaining weight as she met you, right? No, I, I actually do know she that that was the lowest um, that that she was around when I met her and and her she she would talk about you know her sisters say that you are. You are like her older sister would say you are attractive, you know, like she would compliment her when she was thin, um, you know, with, with a little bit thinner. She she had an issue with it when she got to her lowest. But so I when people when people were saying that, you know, you're uh, you're attractive, you're, you know, you look good when you're thin. I'm not I don't think it's the same thing as I'm going to make myself obese and unattractive so I can avoid the attention. You know what I mean? I'm sorry, I didn't follow that last part. Uh, like when people, the people who were who developed the, the A score, I believe it was, they would talk about with their patients that they had experienced sexual abuse, like you were talking about when they were younger, and then they would be subconsciously motivated to, if they're obese and attractive and unnoticed, then they they're they're preventing sexual advances in the future. Because no one wants, you know, not as many people are attracted to that. Well, it depends. It depends, of course, when it happens, right? So right. I think one of the things that can happen is that uh, when a, a girl hits puberty, right, and if there's somebody who's not specifically a pedophile, but I think the term is a hebophile, like somebody mm -hmm. who's sexually attracted to underage girls rather than prepubescent children. Sure. Then, uh, because, you know, what does, um, what does starving yourself do? Well, it, it gives you the body of a girl. Right, so to me, if there had been, and it doesn't have to be outright sexual abuse, it can just be a sense of threat or a sense of danger. Sure. But uh, uh, if if there is a sense of danger or or something like that that happens around the age of puberty or shortly thereafter, then I think there is a bit of an unconscious motive. It's okay. Well, if 
if breasts and hips uh, are, are dangerous to me, then I'll just starve them off. Sure. But no, I mean, obviously, you know her. I don't. I'm just telling right. you what, what my thought process is, but it's got nothing to do with what is true. Obviously, I'm not able to rip through space and time and you know discover what happened to her in the past. I'm just telling you that... Um, and, the, and the reason I'm saying this is, again, not to prove any kind of thesis, but uh, to, to give you a sense of how deep these character disorders can go, which hopefully will give you some sense that you didn't fail in trying to solve them. Sure. No, and I, and I, I, I definitely see the connection there as far as, as the sexual abuse and the, the anorexia manifesting. I mean, that doesn't surprise me at all that, that those two would be related. Um, we had, she and I had talked about um, that, uh, you know, had a conversation, you know, is there any, pretty early on, is there any um, abuse that, that happened? Um, and she said, no, I, and I, I, you know, she obviously could have been falsifying that, but I, I never, I don't, I don't think, you know, we're, we're still friends now at this point. It, it's not something that, it, the relationship didn't end in a giant, like, explosion. Like, you cheated on Right, right. And, and listen, you, you, you know, I mean, I, I do these calls all the time, and sure. I, I, I have to rely on what people say. And by that, right. I don't mean you. I'm sure you're telling me the truth, but you, you have to rely on what people say. Because the moment you're in a relationship with someone and you don't believe that they're telling you the truth about important things, uh, it's really not a relationship anymore. Like it's something else, right? Yeah. Something else, right? Okay, so, but, uh, you know, these the, the sort of eating disorders and so on, they go very deep into the psyche and, um, you know, you, you can no more fix that than you can do, you know, appendectomy with a pair of paper straws, right? I mean, you, you just, even, even experts are genuine, generally baffled by these kinds of uh, characterologic disorders or, or like the borderline disorder and, and so on. Like, they can be managed to some degree, but they can't be fixed. And the reason I'm saying that is once you get a sense of how inaccessible personality disorders are to language, you will stop trying to use it to fix them. Right. And that that's one of the things, you know, that, that I've extracted. That's off that's an obvious thing that I'm going to look for in the in the future as far as it's one of the first boxes I'm gonna check. Yeah, find someone you can disorder. change. Yeah, find someone you can change, but not someone you have to fix. Right. Yeah, exactly. Right. I mean I remember dating uh, a girl who wanted to get into a particularly challenging industry but was <clears throat> very nervous to make phone calls. She was very shy about making phone calls, right? Mm. And it was like, uh, then, then you shouldn't be doing this, you know, because this is not your thing then, right? Right. This is not your thing. And it really is, uh, you know, when you, when you meet a woman who's just competent, oh, I've got to make a phone call, I have to go pick up the call. Make, make the phone call, that kind of stuff, right? It's like, ah, oh, breath of fresh air. <laughs> you know, look at that. You're competent, right? Like I talked about this woman I dated who was studying to be an engineer, and, and uh, she had uh, uh, really bad exam anxiety and, and didn't do particularly well, although she was smart, for sure. And it's like, okay, so you shouldn't, you shouldn't be doing this, you know? Like, if, if, you know, it's going on year after year, and it's, you know, exams are nothing compared to the stress of actually having to have a, build, a, a bridge that stays up. It doesn't get people right. killed, right? So, you know, this is just not your thing. You know, you should go be a mom and, and enjoy that. It, you know, you don't have to be an engineer, right? But I think she'd been pumped full of all of this STEM stuff, you know. Yeah. Right, yeah, yeah. Some take one for the sisterhood and all that. And it's like, oh, it's just garbage, right? 
watching her trying to build a bridge would be like watching me try to give birth. You know, it's just not, <laughs> not, uh, not how things should be shaken out. So, okay. So when did you find out about the family history of eating disorders? Let's see. Uh, we started dating in uh, September 2018. So it was probably probably during the spring or summer 2019. So she was lying to you and withholding to you essential information about her family, right? Um, I, I, I never asked about it, and I know what you're going to say, you know, omission is not, is still dishonest, but it's no, not. No, 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 come on, look, if you guys, look, are you, are you Christians? Um, we're, we're, we come from Christian culture, we're, I would, we're not, like spiritually Christian, I would say. We okay, but those, so yeah. Christian values though, right? Sure, yes. Good, respect, man. More power to you. So so when it comes to Christian values, as you know, dating is generally with the goal of marriage and children and family, right? Yes. Okay. So if she withholds from you important information about the family that you're aiming to marry into, that's mm-hmm. very important. You know, it's kind of like if I sell a car and I've just cut the brakes, right? And, and the guy drives off and crashes it and he gets mad at me. And I said, hey, man, you didn't ask me if I'd cut the brakes specifically. Right. So I didn't lie to you. It's like, yeah, you did. Right? Because, I mean, bulimia and anorexia are pretty severe like people die from that stuff right sure it's it's a pretty severe mental problem and did she talk about her mother's ms yes yes that that was ah okay so she can talk about things she just didn't talk about the other things three out of the four women have significant eating disorders right right and actually, the, the, just as a addendum to that, her, her younger sister who was throwing up, that only happened a few times. So it wasn't, and that was in the middle of our relationship. So she told me about it while it was happening, you know, a couple weeks. And then that, to, to my knowledge, that. Wait, in the middle? Happened. Or because you said you started during, dating during in September life. and it was spring and summer. That doesn't seem like quite the middle to me that you found out about this family stuff. No, no, her, her younger sister, like, it was going on for a couple of weeks. Like, that's, it was a short course. She did that because she was concerned about her, her weight, and then it didn't happen anymore, as far as I'm aware. Right, okay. But understand that you got to have a higher standard for someone Absolutely. you're dating. Right. I mean, I made it a policy pretty early on to say to women, oh, what's your family like? It's bad. Right. And then we actually just, just talked about her family on, on the very first date and kind of heard uh, the, the issues she had. And th- I think this was around the time I had, I had st- been listening to you for a couple months, month or Okay, two, now I get three. this. And, and, and look, good for you, man. We're, we're trying not to talk about the things you did right. We're trying to figure sure. out what you didn't see so you could sure, see sure. it next yes, time, yes. right? So she talked to you about her family. She just didn't mention, did she mention the affair on the first date? Because that's obviously a big thing for the family, right? 
Uh, she did not. She did not. Okay. So she told you about her family. She didn't talk about this pretty life-changing affair, and she didn't talk about the eating disorders and so on, right? Right. So when the information began to dribble out, what did you say? Trying to remember the, the conversations. It, it wasn't... It wasn't something that was it like felt like she was she had been withholding and she was just now coming out and then you know maybe it's sure it could conscious thing necessarily but now is there any evidence from her life from her conversation that you can think back on that would have given you some indication that she was not giving you the full story or that whatever right? Well, I had I had issues with her mother from you know from early on just because her mother is kind of she's she's a part of the Church of Christ and kind of I guess you would say more of a she's she's not she's Christian and she doesn't particularly care about rationalizing her positions. It's kind of it's a Christian bot kind of thing where. The, and she, uh, she and her, her husband have kind of a semi-tyrannical um, hold over the, the household, and it's kind of there's just not a whole lot of negotiation that goes on. Actually, here's something that that she said um, when we were uh, when we were trying to negotiate through a conflict. My girlfriend and I. She said that uh, afterwards because we were. It, it was a little bit bumpy getting through, and she said afterwards, you know, I'm, uh, I'm, uh, I'm sorry I, I, that, you know, we're trying, I'm trying to get the better at that. My nothing changed in my household. It seemed like until something, someone put a hole through the wall. Okay, so she experienced that level of interpersonal violence from her mother, her father, both maybe when she was growing up. Right. Right. And how long into the relationship was that? Uh, not not very long. That was that was pretty early on. I I, I was aware that they weren't very. They, okay, they, how, they were, how you know, just give me a sense here, man? Weeks, months, days. You're vague. You're so vague. It's like you still want to date this girl, do you? I'm sorry. And uh, no, I do. I definitely. Okay. Okay. Um, but how long? Work. I, the the reason I'm vague is because I'm 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 not. You know, just I know it's just have okay, to be down to the sure. date. Weeks or months? Months. Months. So you didn't have a conflict for months. Uh, no. Okay. So a couple of months, like what? So you said September, like October, December, November? Uh, so, so we started dating in September. So probably, I mean, probably during the summer 2019. Wait, the summer? Yeah, the summer of 2019 was, was probably our Wait, so it was the summer of 2019 that you found out that her family was violent? No, I'm sorry. No, that... that... Well, I mean, they, they, okay, so as far as, no, the, okay, I'm sorry, let me, let me get my words together here. Uh, that was when, around when we had a... Okay, you gotta, conflict. you gotta stop. You, I, you're just taking me on a run around here. All due sure, respect. You know, that's fine. I, I get it. I get it. Okay. 
So let's back up here. You said that on your first, I'm sorry, I sound like I'm cross-examining you. I'm not. I'm trying to just put the pieces together, right? Sure, sure. So you said that on your first date, you talked about resolving conflicts. Yes. Right? And did she say at that point, well, you know, my family is terrible at resolving conflicts. They punch holes in the wall. Uh, she said, she mentioned that they were not good at resolving conflicts. She didn't mention the whole in the wall punching part. Well, okay. So when she said, right, because we want to protect your heart for the next time, right? Yes. So when she said, my family is not good at resolving conflicts, what did you say? Um, have, my, my natural question was, do you think you have learned to do that any better than, than them? Ah, now that's not the right question. Okay. Right, that's not the right question. The right question is, tell me more. And we did, we did expand. It wasn't just, you know, she said my family is bad at conflicts and then that was it. She, we, we had an, uh, during the conversation, we talked about a lot of the things that she didn't appreciate that went on in the household, you know, people constantly fighting and never getting, getting anywhere and things like that. So it was that I, I think I did do a tell me more in that. In the okay. Way. So she talked about high conflict interactions, right? But she didn't tell you about punching holes in the wall. Right. Right. Okay. So she was protecting her family, right? I'm, I'm telling you this just so, again, protect your heart for the next time, right? I'm, I'm here to fiercely guard your heart for the next round, okay? No, so she, she chose to protect her family rather than tell the truth, right? Right. Okay. So here's how it plays out, just from my wizened post-century, post-half-a-century uh, 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 freckle-headed lifespan. So here's how it plays out. So in that moment, she says, I'm going to choose to side with my family against you. Right. Now, then what happens is you start to teach her or start to interact with her or you go to therapy and you find out better ways to negotiate with, right? Or better ways to resolve conflicts and all that kind of stuff, right? Now, you understand that that brings you guys closer together, but it brings her into a direct conflict with her family. Yeah, I... I yeah, absolutely. And she was still living at home. Uh, she's well. She's still living at home. Uh, and I live. At, I live with my parents as well. While I'm going to college, but I have my own separate kind of building on property. Property. All right. Uh, I, she, I didn't ask for a map. So no, just uh, sorry. just yeah, no. Yeah, let's yeah. just stay with this thought, right? Just stay with this thought. Sure. So she, she by learning better ways. By le- hang on, hang on. Sure. By learning better ways of interacting, learning more rational ways of interacting, that brings her into direct collision course with her family yes because she now starts to wake up to oh my gosh these people really are really terrible at this you know they're they're kind of abusive right it is abusive to punch holes in the wall i mean you try that in a business meeting right (laughs) try that in in a in a a meeting with your professor right what do you mean you're not going to raise my grade or give me a chance to boom right i mean you get arrested right so you elevating her was putting her into a direct collision course with her family, right? Yes. And she had already chosen to be loyal to her family rather than tell you the truth by withholding the violence that her family was enacting in these conflicts, right? Right. And she, she did, tell, like we talked about early on as well, that she was, like, we, she, we were both spanked as kids, so that, that was fully understood. The, Right, right. But that's something you had in common. I'm going to assume that your parents aren't punching holes in the wall, right? Not to my 
knowledge. I think you'd see him. I think you'd see him. Yeah. Okay, so... When you teach someone better skills or you manifest better skills with them, it puts them on a collision course with everyone in their life who didn't teach them those skills ahead of time or who probably actively prevented those skills from being understood. Absolutely. So you got to track that kind of conflict, right? Because if you say, hey, you know, we got this reasonable way of interacting, we're going to reason things through, we're going to go to therapy and so on, just so you understand, right? She's then going head to head with her parents. It's not about you. Her parents were there a long time before you came along, and now they're going to be there a long time after you're gone, right? Yes. So they, like, you're like, hey, this is new, this is fresh, this is great, we got new ways of doing things, like it's just the two of you. But you're putting her in a direct collision course with people who scared the living shit out of her when she was growing up. Right. Now, I think it's fairly clear to see who won. Yeah. Because she said, I'm born this way. I can't change it. Now, what she's saying is that the family of origin is too powerful for her. Yeah. And you can't win that. And that's, that's, why, that's why it ended. Right. But you have to figure out how you could have known that she was withholding information from you. Exactly. Because if you don't know that, then you sit there and say, oh my God, I got to wait for another six or nine months until finding out blah, 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 right? Right. How could you have known that she was not telling you the truth, the whole story? Well, um, I, I guess when she brought up those things, like I, I believe this, this was something she said that her. She said that her um, father one time, and this was when she was, this was only a few years ago, um, she, when she was having some argument with her father, he got so mad that he turned around and just, like, punched her out onto the floor. So, like, serious anger. He did what? He, he turned around and just, like, pun he punched her, and she, like, fell down. How old was she? She, I believe she was like late teens adult. I can't remember exactly. So he decked his own daughter when she was an adult? And that did not come up until seven, many months into the relationship. And at that point, I, if you're talking about I, how to know that she was lying sooner, I'm, uh, I don't, like that's an obvious case where I could have just said, you know, why didn't you? tell me about this way before this but as far as like how to how to tell no 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 you see know, here's the thing man no sorry sorry this is where you got to be better at protecting yourself more proactive right i mean my god your the family that you want me to marry into is a family that cold cocks an adult are you fucking kidding me excuse my french <laughs> Like, you want me to bring kids into that environment? You, this is going to be granddad? Right. 
what are you crazy? What are you what, what are you doing? This guy punched the woman you love. Yeah, and I I didn't like I didn't really like her family at all. Um but and 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 I sh that that was another that was another point of uneasiness throughout the relationship where I was Okay, hang on. Now don't don't take me on another journey. Sorry. Did sorry. you meet did you meet him? Oh yeah, yeah. I went over to her house all the time. When did you first meet her parents? Um, so I, I actually knew she she was a childhood friend when we were way younger. So I knew her parents when I went over to the church that they attended when I was younger. So I've known them not super close, but I've I've talked to them you know over the years a lot. Or not I, I've talked to them briefly from since way back. And do your parents know them? I guess uh, so. They right? they met. I mean, my my father's not alive. My mother like met them. She knew of them. We didn't. We didn't really have. We had a family gathering. No, but when you were kids, right? I mean, I assume uh, that no. your parents would have met. No, it's a different, different, different church. But you were friends with this girl when you were kids, right? Uh, acquaintances. We weren't. We weren't close. We just kind of talked. Oh, okay. I, I, okay. Yeah. And what did your mother think when she met these people? Um, she talked to. She. She. We had a holiday dinner or whatever she didn't really have any issues from the conversation that she had with them and and to be just so you're aware i didn't really talk to my relationship with my mother uh, or about my relationship with my mother at all because i don't trust her at all so i or her judgment so but what she i well I you understand yeah. we'll, we'll we'll dip into that because you don't trust your mother and who did you end up with a girl you can't trust right so this is the sort of self-protection-y stuff. Okay. Did you notice that the girl was unnaturally thin or surprisingly thin when you first met her? Did, was that something you noticed or was she like Billie Eilishing, bagging it up and all that? Um, no, she wore normal clothes uh, and she wasn't, she wasn't, it, it wasn't like skeletal. It was just like she talked to her doctors about it or, or, or her mother had and she was not. She was not at a at a weight where you know if she got had had surgery if she got infection or something it, her her body was gonna have it was gonna take a harder toll because she wasn't up to uh, a, a normal like the normal recommended body rate weight for women that height. Um, Did so you notice that she was uh, unusually thin? No. Okay. All right. So tell me why you don't trust your mother. So. Um, Throughout my childhood experience, I never got the impression that she ever cared or considered about what I thought or me as a person. She, I mean, I don't, I don't trust her because of that reason. I oh, so you don't sort of show up for her emotionally like she just is more concerned with herself rather than you? Yes. Okay. I'm sorry about that. I'm really sorry about that. I'm really sorry about that. That's a, it's a terrible and actually kind of a dangerous situation to be in, right? If if you have someone living in your house who doesn't have empathy for you, then you're kind of in a constant low grade state of, 
alarm. Yeah. Uh, I Well, that's that wouldn't say that that's my emotional experience. It's just, I guess, uh, emotional. Like, the, I spent a lot, the majority of my time when I was younger, what I would describe as emotionally dissociated. Oh, no, no, I, I get that. I mean, I can get that in this conversation. So right. I, uh, that's why I keep trying to reel you back in from abstract land. Sure. Yeah, 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 okay. Well, you didn't have the mirroring, right? You didn't have the... Right? And your dad? What was the story? Um, he was... He was adopted. Um, I don't know anything about his adopted or biological parents. We weren't... I, I don't think I, I, we never really talked about his adopted parents or met them. I didn't meet. Um, <laughs> it's funny. Uh, it was okay. So he, it's not funny. I'm sorry. Um, he, uh, when my mother and him were originally dating, my, my grandmother recently over, over the past year or two has, has kind of been talking to me about what she remembers about when my mother was younger. Um, she, my mother dated before she dated and married my father. She dated several different people, including an engineer, and she turned him down. And she instead married my father, who was in a band. And I found out recently that he grew mushrooms in his attic. Oh. So she turned down the engineer for the guy who grew his attic. So not not good judgment there um so that that's kind of the background i know about him i still don't really know that much um he was um he was a mechanic he and my mother fought a lot not you know domestic abuse but just like constant yelling that's what i remember from my childhood um and you know so no good conflict resolution example there um a lot of anger and then when I was 15, he killed himself. He killed himself? Oh, my God. I'm so sorry. What, what led up to that? Uh, uh, um, uh, okay. Uh, I mean, and you're a young man. It's not even that long ago. Right. So, um, the, I think it'll make a little bit more sense if I give you a bit more background. When, when he left our family, when I was, or he left. He, I have an older brother. He he left my house or our house for I don't know how long, whether it was months or, or a year or whatever. When my brother, big brother, was like two or four or five or something like that, and then he left our uh, when I was a kid for almost a year. When I was like thirteen or something, and then he came back before he died and there was still still a lot of conflict um but he he was trying you, you mean with your mom 
There was still a lot of conflict. Um, no, but you mean with your mom? Yes, yes. Okay, sorry, I just wanted to check. Sorry, go ahead. And she was trying to make it, like, I got the impression that they were trying to make it work. Uh, but and I think one of the things that she had told him was that she didn't want him uh, drinking anymore. And it, he, I said borderline alcoholic before, like he wouldn't drink all, you know, all throughout the day or anything. He would just drink at night. And he, he was never like abusive to that. Um, but, or at least that, that I'm aware of, but um, she didn't want to him bringing, bringing alcohol, like drinking at home anymore. And I think she found that he had um, brought some beer home or something in the back of his trunk and then um, a couple days, like his car was missing, I think the next day or something, and then three days later the cops show up and say they, they found his car inside the shot himself. Uh, he shot himself? Yeah. So do you think, you, was it that your mom kicked him out? Um, she could have, but that, I don't, I don't, that, that's not what I'm, I, I was, that's not what she said. Oh, so she said she didn't kick him out. So he came home with the beer. She called him out on it. He just took off and then that's it, right? Didn't see him for three days. Cops find him and he's got a bullet in his so, head, right? So to, to, to be completely honest, I, I only know a limited amount because at the time I didn't. I felt nothing towards the situation, I, and I didn't care at all. Um, so, I, I, my, my knowledge of it is a little bit spotty. I'm not, I'm not sure if she specifically called him out or if he came to his car later and found the beer missing, and then was. I, I'm not sure. Did he? I assume if he grew mushrooms, did he also use drugs? Uh, if if he did, it was when he was younger. Oh, so uh, the mushroom growing was not part of his married or fatherhood life? No. Okay, okay. I, I've been up in Mac a few times. I haven't seen any shrooms up there. Right, okay. And so he was in a band. He grew mushrooms. He became a mechanic. He became... Border, when I, it's not a borderline alcoholic if you're drinking every day, is it? It's, it's just an alcoholic. I suppose so, yeah. Um, no, I think that's the definition. I mean, you don't have to drink in the morning to be an alcoholic. You don't have to drink during the day to be an alcoholic. You just have to drink every day and, and I, need it, right? Sure. I, I wasn't familiar with the, the official definition. Yeah, so let's do... Sure. He may have been a borderline slash alcoholic in terms of borderline personality, but... So he's an alcoholic, right? Sure. And how much did he drink at night? I don't have any memory of him being like so intoxicated that he couldn't like walk or speak properly or anything. So I don't, I don't, I, that could but be just kind of an absent buzz on, right? Sure. Okay. All right. Would you know if there was anything else? I mean, I know it's, you were young time, time ago, but was there anything else that you know that, that may have driven him to this? rather ridiculously extreme measure? 
well. Thing is, I don't really, I don't really know much about him. Well, you were there. I mean, you were home, right? Sure. Oh, we just hit a wall there, didn't we? Yes, yes, I was. Yes, I was home. I'm just trying to think. Yes, I was home, but I, I don't. I never. I, I don't. Didn't really have. You know, I never had conversations with him to speak of. Um, I was just most of the time I was spending just trying to not. I mean, listen, I'm sorry to interrupt. Like, I, I've heard a lot of talk about suicide on this show, and I massively sympathize with you. I don't sympathize with your dad at all. That's just a topic for another time. I, I hate people who commit suicide. I really do. It's such a horrible, vicious, ugly, mean, destructive thing to do. You right. know, if you can't take it anymore, you don't want to live anymore, I don't agree with that choice. At least have the common fucking decency to make it look like an accident so people aren't tortured. That's all. I, I just, I can't tell you. It's not so much the people who commit suicide, it's people who commit suicide in this FU kind of way that just leaves people scarred and traumatized. It's like, it's such a shitty way to make your exit from this world and such a stain to leave on people's future and such a terrible thing for your son to have to explain for the rest of his life to whoever. It's, it's such a horrible, destructive, ugly thing to do that it's, it's separate from just wanting to die, which is, you know, I think kind of a spit in the face of... of the glory of life but you know whatever right i mean people they get there right they obviously get there but at least have some decency but i guess you know maybe if you had the decency left to make it look like an accident you probably wouldn't kill yourself anyway i just i just want to give you that little tiny rant because i just i have so much contempt for people who blatantly commit suicide you know in, in destructive and ugly ways and and leave no doubt in those they left behind that they killed themselves and you know there's so many ways to do it where people are like oh yeah my father died in a car accident Right. You know, he could have done it so many different ways, but no, he did it in this ugly, feral, vicious, destructive way that scars, you know, I just, that's just, and, and there's no negotiation, right? You can't negotiate with a dead man, right? And, and so, so I've, I've heard a lot of suicide talk on the show and that doesn't mean to blur your pain, which I, you know, I respect and, and I'm incredibly sorry for, but I've never heard my wife caught me with booze. Right, that I've never heard as as, as a oh, yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah, okay. I understand what you're saying. It's it's interesting that you talk about me having to explain to people how that's my life and my pain because this. We talk about people saying things late in the relationship, like your girlfriend. We've been talking for an hour and a half, and I now find out your dad killed himself. Right, and I that was. I mentioned that pretty early on, and but but what I was saying was this. Well, with your girlfriend though, not with me, right? Right. This okay. is the first. This is probably the first time that I've. I'm honestly surprised that like my voice is doing this wet because I this have never happened before when I talked about my father. Oh shit! You're talking to a guy whose dad dropped off the planet a week ago, right? Right. And I remember during the, the problems in the relationship 
I one of the things that I felt felt distinctly. Man, it, it would be really nice to have a father to to look up to and ask, what the fuck do I do with this situation? Right. Right, but the only thing worse than not having your father might be having your father. He might have got you married and got this exactly. girl pregnant by now. Well, I mean, a wise father. Right. Now, tell me, tell me what you're feeling at the moment. And you don't have to fight through your feelings. Your feelings don't threaten me. They don't upset me. I'm, I'm happy to hear them. It does not, you know, I feel for you, but it does not trouble me that you feel strongly about this. So, but what, what is going on in your heart? Uh, I, I think, I think it, it, I'm feeling the void that was created by the absence of of wise empathetic parents in my life. And in this situation, obviously, my father specifically, my mother is going. Right. So you have someone, me, I guess older. And it's funny because, you know, I know I seem like a bit of a father figure to people. I still feel very young at heart myself, but, you know, I, I get all of that. Right. So, but I mean, I care. Right. And, and it is, isn't it, isn't it uh, terrible in a way, in just about every way that you come to me? I'm glad you do. I, I really, like, I, I'm honored. I'm honored that you come to me with this stuff, but it's sad in a way too, right? I mean, it's good that you have the opportunity, but it's sad that it's needed, right? Right, right. for sure. Right. And so I'm not going to participate, as you know, in glibness. And you caught yourself because you're a long-term listener, like, no, it's not yes. funny, right? Because you didn't have me jump in and say, hey, man, stop laughing at stuff that's not funny, right? Right. So I'll tell you a little something. I wasn't going to talk about this ever, but I'll mention it really briefly here. Not to distract for you from you, but to just say how much I get it. Sure. So someone sent me my father's memoirs. His autobiography. Do you know? I didn't even know he'd written one. I mean, and was, it, was it publicized? Maybe? I got it, let's just say. Okay, sure, sure. It's 60 pages. Pretty tight text, you know, like 60 pages of not double space, like pretty tight text and all that. So yeah, it's a novella, right? About, about his life. And um, family history, his childhood, uh, his career. And do you know how many lines I get? Two. Out of 60 pages? One, zero. <laughs> about three. About three. He goes into great detail about his various career exploits and how he was frightened by a rhinoceros and it chased him. And he gets a little detail about all that stuff, right? But me? Maybe two or three lines. It's, a, it's an awful thing to not show up for your parents. My father lived over 80 years. He was my father for 50 of those years. 
and reading about all the things that he did and all the places that he went and all the people that he met, all the great conversations he claims to have had, none of them with me. Now, I have my faults, but being a good conversationalist, that's a strength of mine. I mean, that's why we're talking, right? Right. I'm good at communicating. I'm good at talking to people. And my father went into great details about conversations he had with strangers on a train. And I get three lines. Now, I'm not humiliated by that. I'm old enough now. Like, I get it and all of that. I don't feel like, you know, you're a younger man. And I don't. It's an annoying thing to say. I fully appreciate that. But I'll say it anyway, right? I have perspective. I'm a, father, I'm a good father myself. So I, I get all of that, right? But it's just, it's, it's, it's very sad to think of all of the conversations your father could have been having with you, instead he chose to suck down a continual stream of soul-numbing poison. You know? I mean, look, you're a great person to have a conversation with, my friend. You really are. I am engaged. I am fascinated. I am interested. I am sympathetic. You are a great person to have a conversation with. As I say, I am honored that you would share your life with me. And I know you grew up not trusting your mom. I'm pretty sure you don't trust the guy who killed himself. But you're willing to trust me. I know what a gift that is. I know what a gift that is. And that's why I'm always taking the time and always so deeply honored in these conversations. It's a beautiful thing. And I thank you. You know, you always hear me. I thank people at the end of the conversations. That's not glib. Look, it's a big thing to open up your heart, especially when you've had it ignored, right? Right. Yeah, it's, it's funny. I was talking to my, to my uncle, who I'm fairly close with at this point, about the other day about how because I didn't have any, any sort of father figure when I was growing up, a lot of people... Um, on the internet, who you who you wouldn't ever think, you know, you Jordan Peterson and other people like that really became the strong male figures. Right. That guy, that guy did not develop as man. But that's the strength that you have, my friend, which is to say, I need something, and to go out and get it, to go out and consume it, to go out and absorb it. I mean, you get strong father figures. I had a half-crazy Russian writer named Ayn Rand. <laughs> you right. know, I tried to escape my mom with a woman. At least you get a dude. So you don't know why your dad killed himself. Because I guess if you did know, if there was enough communication, he probably wouldn't have, right? Not that that's anything to do with you or your fault. Well, God, no. Your parents define everything about your relationship right. no, when you were a kid, right? I never felt any guilt about that. No, no, no. No, of course not. I mean, it's not like you would have refused a conversation with your dad, you know? Right. I mean, hell, my dad had, uh, you know, 50 years. Uh, you know, the one time he did tell me all about his life for six hours straight on a bus. You know, I mean, I'm glad he did, and I didn't reject him or refuse him for that. But I was a little pissed off afterwards when he didn't ask me a goddamn thing about my life. Hey, thank you for dumping everything on me. Right. Because <laughs> it's, it's always dumping if it's one way, right? 
just an audience for the monologue. Well, you know, it's about unburdening himself. It's about a confessional. It's not about a connection. It's not about right. a relationship. Right. But no, I don't. I don't know why. I mean, I just know he was. And I got the sense that he was immensely unhappy throughout his, you know, entire life that I knew. Probably before, you know, if he was drinking, he undoubtedly had a, and was adopted, then he undoubtedly had a not good childhood experience. Right. Right. Yeah. Fuck that, though. Right. Neither did I. Neither did you. Yeah. We're not sucking a shotgun, right? I just my 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 main goal is to do what my my kids. Right. 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 And that starts with finding a good woman. It starts with finding a good woman. And it starts, as we, as we talked about, by looking for the warning signs. Right. Um, one, one question that did come up in my mind, because, because insecurity played such a huge role in, in my previous relationship, and I think you know, it, it seemed to be fairly common among the population. I don't know if it's a generation-specific thing, but... Um, I was trying to think how to how to identify that early on, what kind of questions to ask and what kind of responses to look for, because I think that is extremely important, especially in young women, is to identify like presence of security. I don't know if you have any. Yeah, I mean, I, I definitely want to get to that, and I'm sorry if I'm taking too much of your time, but no, no, no. I, I do, I do want to. I, I don't feel like we found the landmine. I just want to circle back to this sure. early part. When did you tell her about your family history? Um, very, like, first, first few conversations. I... Okay, so first couple of conversations, she finds out your dad was an alcoholic who killed himself, and your right. parents fought all the time. Right. And, okay, here it is. Yeah, got it, got it, got it. Okay. So what did she do with that information? Well, she... Well, she ex yeah, yeah, she expressed sympathy, I get right, it. But right. what does she do with that information? How long were those conversations? How many times did she bring it up over uh, after you had talked about it? I mean, it, it came up in conversations where... No, no, no. How many times did she bring it up? Did she sit there and say, man, I was really thinking about your dad and, you know, like I just wanted to know more about this or more about that or, you know, how are things with your mom or, you know, how did it feel for you at the time? Like, when sure. you brought this up, I mean, it hit me like a ton of bricks, man. It really, it moved me. I mean, it, not that it wasn't moved before, but, you know, like that's, that's a hell of a thing to hear. And how did she circle back or keep that conversation alive regarding your father and your mother and you. Well, so so throughout our, uh, as far as my father, I don't believe she brought him up. Um, okay, well that's it. That's it right there. And do you know how I knew that? Because you said to me when you got emotional, which you have every right to, of course. You said, "I have not felt this." before and that means 
that means I don't think you showed up for your girlfriend any more than you did for your mother. Because you hear something like, my father killed himself about half a decade ago when I was a kid, and I don't know why. I tell you, my friend, that is the beginning of a very lengthy conversation. Not that she's going to be a therapist to you or anything. I'm not talking about anything like that any more than I am. It's just, tell me more, tell me more. That's a big thing, right? And she needs to figure out how it affected you, whether you have any depressed or depressive characteristics or tendencies. What the hell happened in that family? Because if she's going to marry into your family, when there's a smoking grave where your dad was, even even if it's just around self-protection, you understand? Right. She's got to figure this shit out and, and fast. Well, I mean, that's definitely what I would recommend to her if she was in a situation where I was giving advice, but she's not. She's not as... No, 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 no. You're abstracting no, me again. No, okay, no. Let's, let's get back to your girlfriend. Right. Okay? So you tell her, hey, my dad killed himself, and she doesn't bring it up again? I don't have a memory of that. You'd so, remember. So, right. You'd remember. So she, you tell her, my dad killed himself. She doesn't bring it up again. Okay, that's it right there. And you said you did that in the first couple of dates? Yes. Um, yeah. No, I, I, that's it. That's it. Okay. That's all you need to know. All you need to know about the end of the relationship is right there. That she would let something like that slide. That she would let something like that go. No, 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 that's weird, man. That's deeply, deeply weird. I bet you, you spent about a thousand times more time talking about her insecurities than your father's death. Yes. Fuck that. Stop it. Do not be there for these selfish people. You are enabling them, and you are erasing yourself. Why the hell are you focusing on her when she can't even be bothered? to ask you about your father's suicide. Fuck that selfishness. That's it right there. That's why I couldn't get it. It's not a presence, it's an absence. I'm looking for what's missing, not what's there. So I got a little distracted. I'm like a bloodhound with this shit, man. You know that. Yes, yes. And it's weird that... I have to see the body that's not there rather than the body that's there. It's just an odd thing, right? Okay, but you understand, right? You poured heart and soul into trying to help her with her issues. She didn't even fucking ask you about your dead dad. You got to stop that. You got to stop that right now because that's not love. That's you racing around. You think, you think she's insecure? You don't even ask for equity. You don't even say to her, well, wait a minute, I told you that my dad killed himself a day or two ago and you haven't mentioned it? Like, what, what's going on? What, what do you think about that? I mean, that's a big thing, right? I see what you're saying. I, I, during the first conversation when I told her, and, and you, might, you might describe this as irrelevant, I'm not sure, but I mean, it might be irrelevant context, I said that I, I described, I told her about that happened, then I described my feelings on the subject, and I said, as I said to you, I didn't have 
this is the first time I've had an emotional reaction to that. Um, I get that. So I, I, I t- and I told her, I, I think my emotions on the subject are resolved because I don't ever think about him. When I do think about him consciously, I don't feel anything. So I don't, I think I'm good there. So, and you know, maybe she should have continued. No, 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 no. See, now that's, that's, that's not good. Right. So yeah, I mean, that's, that's, yeah. I mean, the, the, look, I get that you felt nothing at the time. I understand that. And I'm not, obviously I, I know you're telling me the truth about all of that and I don't blame you for that. I don't. Right. No problem. I get it. I get it. But, but here's the thing. If you genuinely felt nothing about your father committing suicide, that would be a terrifying situation, right? I mean, if, right, if she wants to get married to a guy, right? Right. And he feels nothing about the death of his, the suicide of his own father, like genuinely felt nothing, not like, you know, at the time or it's a defense or I'm, I'm hoping that somebody's going to notice and call me out on it or, you know, like if, if you genuinely had no, feelings about the death of your father the suicide of your father you understand right then then she right. she should run for the hills right i yeah that would that would be concerning for me in the other position if i were dating one that something like that okay good so we're, we're on the same page as far as that goes right so that's why she needs to circle back right that's why she needs to circle back and say to you okay um Let's 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 find out what's going on here, right? Because she needs to have her own self protection as well, right? Sure. Yeah, she should have. I don't know. If she is. I don't. She wasn't wise enough to do that. Well, it's not even. It's. I don't even know if it's about wisdom. Doesn't she care? I mean, doesn't she care about you? I felt. I felt like she did. Right. 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 So there, there it is, right? So here's, here's the thing, right? So you talk about what happened with your dad, which, you know, it's a reasonable thing to talk about. And I'm, I'm sorry that you have to say that. I'm sorry you can't say my dad died in a mysterious car crash. It was very sad, you know. I mean, I'm sorry that you have to. This is a, a, a hell-sent curse that he's left with you. And I'm, it's awful that he would do that to you. But if somebody doesn't, really try and figure out what the hell happened and what the hell is going on with you and, and, you know, then they don't care about you and also they don't even care about themselves. If you understand, right? Because now they're getting involved with a guy who says, oh yeah, my dad killed himself and I don't care. Right. Makes sense. So, that's where it is. Oh, good. I, you know, I, I hate leaving the stones unturned, so to speak. So, what? Okay, I was about to say. So, what that means in a practical sense is it? it I, I was going to ask how I should apply that in a future, like when I'm talking to a future partner. But is that are we moving on to that too quickly, or should I stay where I am? No, no. Listen, that's. I just. I'm just glad to have found the damn thing. I mean, it's always there, uh, but this was a tough one. So I appreciate your patience with me. Uh, but yeah, no, that is. Uh, that is some terrifying shit right there. 
So, so what I what I should does that means when I'm talking to a potential partner in the future that that I should be looking for someone who kind of relentlessly pursues. Yeah, you should be points. looking to see if they care about you enough and care about themselves enough to um to to dig in and find out what the heck's going on. Because listen, deep down, you know this shit anyway. You know that you just dropped a bomb on someone and they're just blowing past it. And so, like, that's the end of it right there. Well, <laughs> right. No, no. I mean that that you know. Like if you if yeah. you want to have that knowledge, that's the that's the knowledge, right? Yeah. What did I say about my mother at the beginning of a relationship? I never got the impression she cared about me. So I guess I don't know. What the fuck that well, that's was. and that's why I'm saying, right? I mean, deep down, your girlfriend is as self-absorbed as your mom. But you can't see it, right? Because you're just used to it. It's a shame. I tried so. I tried to so, go. Went in trying so hard to avoid dating my mom because I was aware of that and uh, doing sure. it anyway. <laughs> sure. Sure. Oh man, listen, you're a young guy. It's 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 a little hard to 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 get out of that stuff, right? I mean, you you're doing a fantastic job, don't get me wrong. But it's a little tricky to to break those um to break those patterns. Sure. So, yeah, that would definitely be my uh, my approach. That's a hell of a thing to drop. And so in in a weird way, here's a strange thing, right? Life is uh, a little tricky this way, right? So your dad gave you a big shit sandwich, right? But he also gave you something quite powerful if you use it in the right way. My dad killed himself. And you see how people react, and that's your basic bitch filter right there. I'm not referring to your ex as a bitch. You know, just that internet yeah, sure, phrase, yeah, right? Yeah, I understand. That's your, that's your empathy bro right there, right? So you have been given, in a sense, a terrible burden and a great power. You have a superpower. You know, like all the superheroes have a terrible burden, right? That's just how they roll. That's right, how the right. stories roll, right? And so you have a great power, as did I, right? So I said, oh, you know, I had a tough time with my mom. She was violent, this, that, and the other, right? And you see, people care. Do they notice? Do they circle back? Are they interested? Or do they say, well, you know, I just wanted to respect the boundaries and I didn't want to probe. And I didn't think, okay, well, if you don't want to probe, we're, we're not having sex. I ain't probing if you ain't probing, <laughs> right? <laughs> it is to be a mutual probe exercise. Yes. That's a damn good filter. Yeah, it's a really good filter. And that's how you will find your queen. Someone who cares enough to circle back. And that, I think, is what you've been looking for. I mean, I bet your mom hasn't circled back. Has she said, how have you been dealing with your dad's suicide? Maybe shortly after it happened. No, no, but I mean, that's not, that's not a one-time conversation, right? I mean, she... Every, every attempt I've had at trying to deal with the interpersonal problems she and I have, my mother and I, there's, I mean, it's like, it's not, not nails on a chalkboard, but, but like, it, it's, it's, it's trying to 
draw water out of a rock. That's what I was trying to say. Yeah. It's, yeah. It's, and there's never a, like it, it's difficult enough while it's happening. There's never any circle. No. So, yeah. So unfortunately, you have been taught that you don't matter by your mom and that your feelings don't matter. And why you became emotional with me is because you matter to me. And you should matter a lot more to the woman you're dating and your own mother. And I'm sorry that you don't. You know, I have yet to see any particular examples in general of the supposed famous female empathy. Oh, women, they're so sensitive. They're so empathetic. They're so feelings-based. Ah, uh, you know. Maybe if you're a baby. Yeah, maybe if you're a baby, that's right. So you just need to role-play a little. Just need to dress up a little. Just roll around in adult diapers and you'll get it all, right? You know, I mean, I mean, exception, you know, my family and my wife and all this is great. But in general, uh, it just seems to me like a whole bunch of advertising that's not really backed up by any um, positive views from the consumers. Do you think it's always been that way or is that a recent, recent phenomenon? I think, I think that, um, I think it's, I think it's more recent. Yeah, I think it's more recent. And I think it's because we're asking women to do what they generally can't do, which is to compete with men in the same arenas, and it's just burning them out, mm. I think. But uh, anyway. Yeah, well, to, to be competitive, you can't really be super empathetic, I guess. Yeah. Um, yeah, there is that. There is that. I mean, I guess I'm competing with other podcasts by being empathetic, but yeah, I know what you, I know what you mean. Sure. I know what you mean. All right, so is that, is that a, a good place to start from? That is, a, that is definitely a, a good so Whew, well, you know, I uh, I wasn't sure. I thought I was going to bring it in for a JFK Jr. landing there, but I'm glad uh, I'm glad we touched down with wheels down. That was good. Um, do, you have, we, do you have any quick suggestion as far as you know, looking out for insecurities? Anything? Um, no, 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 no. No, focus on the women's capacity to focus on you. Don't focus on them. Okay. If the woman has the capacity to focus on you, it takes a strong person to focus on someone else. Selfish people are just like black holes. They just absorb everything, right? Right. I can, I can focus on you because I am not thinking about me. I'm thinking about you. And I'm thinking about me to the degree with which can connect me with you. So don't worry about thinking about them. I know this sounds a bit paradoxical, but focus on how much they want to follow up and get to know you. Do they want to get to know you? It's really, really important. That's a big thing in your life. Your dad killed himself. It's a big thing, right? And you will be thinking about that it doesn't mean it's going to traumatize you or break your life or anything. So, you know, be thinking about that for a long time. And if people, if people aren't interested in that aspect of you, man, just, you know, boogie out, man. Time to get out of Dodge. Because you are interesting. And if people aren't interested in you, it's because they know where that interest in you is going to lead, which is to conflict with dangerous people in their own life, which they're too chicken to do. All right. Will you keep me posted about how it goes? Uh, absolutely. All right. Well, thanks, man. I really, really appreciate that. And again, bottom to sympathy. I'm, I'm so sorry about all of this. But again, try and find a way to use these, these traumas as a superpower. So that's certainly been my approach, and it actually works out pretty damn well. So thanks, everyone, so much. We're going to hopefully be on for 11 a.m. Uh, I really, really appreciate the calls the the brilliance of the questions the the openness of the conversation is is a true privilege and honor for me and i thank you guys so much of course 
as well as you know the fact that you're hanging in there during difficult times on Subscribestar. It means the world to me. Um, you know, donations, as you can imagine, have kind of dropped off a cliff, and you guys are keeping me uh, fed, uh, keeping my internet up. So thank you guys so much. Have yourself a wonderful, wonderful evening, and uh, I guess I'll talk to you those. So th those will be back. I will talk to you on Saturday. Lots of love. Take care.